This is Unfiltered, episode 218 for December 21st, 2016. I told Russia to stop it. Tonight, President Obama for the first time publicly blaming Russian President Vladimir Putin for hacking the 2016 U.S. election. The intelligence that I've seen gives me great confidence in their assessment that the Russians carried out this hack. The hack of the DNC and the hack of John Podesta. Not much happens in Russia without Vladimir Putin. Christmas, happy holidays, and uh, we might need to get this in now. Happy New Year as well. This is the last episode of Unfilter before the great New Year. I'm Chase. There's Chris, and we got a great show lined up for you guys. Hey, buddy, don't discount the clip show. Well, that's I, coming I, up next week, and that's the one. I'm just talking about live. That's the one yeah. where you introduce the noobs. You hand that out to your friends. Like, hey, check out what they've been covering this hey, year. Check this out. Yeah, check, check this, this out. out. Check this out. So, so, so how, did you put that together, or was it Matt, or it's was a, it's it a, It's a collaborative was, event okay. of all, all names involved there. Fair enough. Uh, Fair I'll enough. tell you this, though. Mr. Beard really put the most magic into it, so it is worth checking out. But I cannot wait. This... I actually feel like this might be our most important episode this year. Screw the election. I actually think today it really? all becomes clearly about Syria. Everything uh, that's going on. The Russian hacking, all of it, it's all about Syria. It's about and all about oil and pipelines. No doubt. We're gonna talk about it today and it's it all comes together in episode two hundred and eighteen. I really think this might be one of our biggest shows ever. No doubt. By the way, also if you were a uh, if you are a Patreon, by the way, a lot of great people signed up last week at patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> And thanks to you guys doing that and stepping up last week, I opened up the sack this week. So we got some great comments from some new people. OMG, OMG, OMG. And cannot wait to share those as well. But first... Our largest cyber section in a long time. One of our biggest cyber because it all starts with hacking, attribution. This is where we begin tonight. And so it's going to kind of all come together, but we have to cover a little bit of ground first. Chris, be careful. You almost sounded like a news anchor there. Tonight, this is where we begin. <laughs> with, we begin with cyber. Will serial kill your children? Stay tuned to find out. Yes. Let's <laughs> start with how intelligence officials pin it to the Russians and figure out who's behind a hack. I think this clip sort of will start us off really right. well. with damaging emails released via WikiLeaks to bolster Donald Trump, undermine Hillary Clinton, or sow seeds of doubt about the integrity of the American electoral system. Wow, that's a lot right off the top. Jake, so, drink some more of Minecraft, So please. did the, did, oh, let's go back, let's see. Uh, now, whether Russians hacked the DNC and Hillary... So did the Russians hack the DNC and Hillary Clinton's email? Clinton's campaign chair with damaging emails released via WikiLeaks to bolster Donald Trump, undermine Hillary Clinton, or sow seeds of doubt about the integrity of the American electoral system. All that remains the motive, a matter for debate. So, so far, if we are to believe what's happened, here's why I will give you the Russians could be involved. Okay. Based on all of the reports I've read and all of the coverage we've covered. That's coverage we've covered. The Russians may have been behind the phishing emails that were clicked, like the one that Podesta clicked. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm with you so far. The Russians may have been behind that one. Okay. But I think what the media is doing is there, there's, there were actually several leaks that have, occur, that have occurred, and they're, making, they're lumping it all under one big Russian hacking Correct. story. Yes. And so as this goes along, I want to kind of make sure we make clear markers where I think there's actually been leaks by DNC staffers, yep. some that are dead now, 
And I think there's potential space for where the Russians may have actually done some hacking. Regardless of motive, however, the intelligence community is now saying they are confident that Moscow did meddle in the U.S. election. So. What's the lower third say, Chris? Uh, Intel more confident Russian so, meddled so, to help Trump. So we've gone from confident to more, more, more. confident. Yeah. Okay, that's what, good. I, what I also yeah. really, really like about this is when, when, when Tapper says, regardless of motive. System, all that remains the motive a matter for debate, regardless of motive. What he should be saying, when he goes to say, regardless of motive, however, what is worth discussing is the contents of the emails that were released. That is what the next words out of this man's mouth should be, right. because if we are to believe that the Russians hacked the election by trying to influence the voters, the way they did that was by releasing the candidates' own party's emails, by exposing the fact that Donna Brazil was forwarding questions to the Clinton campaign, Correct, and then by exposing the that. fact that Debbie Wasserman Schultz planned against Bernie from the very beginning. They exposed this information. and. If we are to believe that that was the Russian super motive, it's some sort of master motive where they understand that they will get the public to vote for Donald Trump by exposing what a monster the DNC and Hillary Clinton actually are. If that is supposedly the hack, why are we not discussing what was revealed about our political system via these leaks and the media corruption that was revealed? For debate, regardless of motive, however, the intelligence community is now saying they are confident that Moscow did meddle in the U.S. election. So how do top security and intelligence analysts even come to that conclusion? How do they conduct a cyber autopsy? Got to go right to the m- Russian troops dun, marching. For the election, when Russian hackers were first suspected of interfering with the U.S. elections, candidate Donald Trump was not convinced. I mean, it could be Russia, but it also could be somebody sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds, okay? But now that the U.S. intelligence community says it's confident Russian hackers are likely behind the cybersecurity breaches. What is some- uh, XP, by the way? Yeah, and I don't really under it's it's interesting the way they frame this to begin with. It doesn't need to be Trump that they're talking no. about. It's simply they could go with well, the, the they re- could, why not say journalist Glenn Greenwald does not believe the evidence is sufficient to support the Russian accusation. Well, remember, why they, Donald Trump? Well, they keep pulling Trump into it because of his one remark saying, you know, hey, if Russia can find those thirty thousand emails, yeah, yeah, and, and they yeah. love to pull that into it. Obviously, it's, he was it's being like sarcastic. It's like, it's like they're still in election mode, and they're still trying to prevent him from being elected. Well, they're in election mode, but they're not, because it's like they're, they don't want to talk, like you said, the content of the leaks, right? They, they don't want to even bring that up at all. They just want to talk about the fishing expedition that Mr. John Podesta accidentally clicked that, you know, buy here for the for the pills or whatever. Actually, it was, uh, what your was password it? needs to be changed. Click this link. Oh, yeah. Podesta then forwarded it to his IT guy and said, is this? Is this legit? Right. And his IT guy had the typo saying, yeah, it's legit. Do it. Legitimate. Or something like that. Yeah, it was supposed it, to be illegitimate yeah. and legitimate. And, yeah. and so that is that is the extent of the hack. Perhaps that email was written by a Russian. Maybe. Okay. But now that the U.S. intelligence community says it's confident Russian hackers are likely behind the cybersecurity breaches, with some debate within the community over whether the hackers were trying to help Trump. No, no, no real discussion about what that debate is. No, we're just going to move right on. Yeah. The president-elect is weighing in again. Quote, unless you catch hackers in the act, he tweeted Monday, it's very hard to determine who is doing the hacking. 
Well, one thing about that. Our firm CrowdStrike actually did catch them in the act. We actually watched these adversaries uh, for a number of days and weeks. Security experts and ethical hackers say it's possible to catch cyber criminals after the act as well. Most of the time when we respond to an incident response engagement, we have a number of different forensic elements that we can find. These range from IP addresses um, to usernames, um, the the actual tools that the, the... This is all extremely vague individuals use while they're Could breaking be into anything, systems. Yeah, and I have issues with all of this. So IP attribution, I don't even feel like I need to say why that's bunk. I think our, all our audience is already aware of that. Uh, tool attribution is horrible because what you're really doing is you're shunning people for using certain open source tools that were developed in nations that you think are dirty. And I really think that's a dangerous thing to start happening. I think when you start attributing who a hacker's from simply because of the program they got off of a black market website or the program they downloaded off of SourceForge, I think that's extremely lazy and dangerous reporting. So I don't like IP attribution. I don't like time zone attribution because, again, it's easy to set your time zone just yep. like it's easy to set your IP. Yep. All of these things are super rough for me, and I don't like that we're not discussing any specifics. ...while they're breaking into the systems. Well, hackers often leave behind digital breadcrumbs. Well, they can't be specific, Chris, because if they're specific, uh, they're releasing, you know, uh, country secrets and all that stuff. You know, uh, we, we can't tell you specific. Right. You Except know. for even by just discussing this, it would reveal to anybody who's behind the scenes who was the compromising point. I mean, if you had a mole or if you had information that you were getting from some sort of top level source, even this level of discussion in the media would reveal that person. Right. Everything from complex clues to circumstantial evidence, even something as easy as the hours they worked. When we see the attackers um, inside a network, does that happen during certain times of the day? Oh, that my God. Could- that doesn't mean anything. No. That means nothing. Especially when you consider the fact that they could be bots that they're connecting to. It could be queued up commands. I mean, all, all they got to do is set their alarm uh, and, and wake up at a different time. It doesn't mean a thing line up with shift work in China or, or Russia um, or the United States? Um, do, do these people take holidays? And then there are the calling cards, recognizable evidence left behind by like known picture. criminals. The code that they use uh, to build their malware samples. See, this is extremely dangerous because if you've listened to the TechSnap program, you are very aware of the fact that these toolkits and these little different patches of code can be sold on black markets to anybody that has a Bitcoin that wants to, to that wants to knock somebody offline or wants to take advantage of an exploit, and just like they sell credit card numbers and 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 consumer identity information, they sell exploit kits. In fact, it is a huge market. And by the way, the market's only growing because our own government is buying from this same black market, and they're ri- they're driving the price up. But see, remember, Chris, this message that we're watching here isn't directed towards us. It's not directed towards our smart audience. It's directed at grandma and grandpa sitting on the couch going, you know, that seems like it could happen because he's speaking so vaguely it can apply to anything and people are going to eat it up if you're not knowledgeable about it. Yeah, they really do seem to be. And this seems to be the big attribution. Uh, now, there is, you know, there's that saying where uh, what's the saying? Like, it's I don't ever say it, so I don't know it very well. It's something about like, don't those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones or what is that saying, Chase? Oh, it's like, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, Stones right. This is your yeah. personal account that was hacked. I gotta think you're getting updates on the investigation that others would not. What can you share? Uh, I, I will share this with you, Chuck. The first time I was contacted by the FBI. This is John Podesta, the uh, guy that was fished, uh, the guy that had a whole bunch of emails leak. Uh, was two days after WikiLeaks started dropping my emails. Like, 
Now, a key piece of information to understand is, if I'm correct in the chat room, please let me know if I'm not. I believe, and Chase, maybe you can keep an eye out for this. Yeah. I believe Podesta clicked on that phishing link in March, potentially. Yeah, I was way back. Yeah, so keep that in mind when they start talking about dates here. Podesta got an email that he himself, he apparently had some sort of gut instinct that it might be illegitimate. So we forwarded, we just said we forwarded it to his IT guy back in, I believe, March. So keep that in mind as uh, they discuss timeline here. We started dropping my emails. Wait, let me pause the here. First, the first... Two days after. Two days after. So October 7th, Wiki... October 7th, mm-hmm. let's go through the chronology. Yes. On October 7th... Now, I don't know if you remember October 7th. There is something very important that happened October 7th. It wasn't just the day that the WikiLeaks email started to drop. Remember Julian Assange's big build-up where oh, he was yeah, going to do... release a little bit every day. Do you remember how like he had a whole schedule? Yeah. And it was like he had like... To like two months to three months, like he even went on like Brett Bear's program and started teasing it, and then he went on all of these different programs and started teasing. We're going to do releases. It's going to destroy Hillary Clinton, and we even called him out for like this one big like crap stunt live stream he did. Yep, it was a total thud flop. Yep, totally. You know what else happened on that day? No. That was the day that the Clinton campaign got that anonymous source from inside NBC that gave them the apprentice recordings of him saying, grab him by the pussy. Oh, you mean the extra stuff? That was the day. The extra, yeah. That was the day that, okay, so I don't know if you, so if you, I don't, the thing you got to really remember is NBC was already working on a story, but they weren't sure they were going to run with it. And so somebody within NBC got a copy of the recording and leaked it to the Clinton campaign that then got it published through was it extra i can't remember who yeah. they got it through well the, the, it was a spot from extra right oh yeah yeah i know yeah. but do you remember so the 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 thing was is there was two pieces that were being worked on simultaneously the clinton campaign had this oh, cr- access hollywood thanks yeah yeah, yeah this yeah this this clinton the clinton campaign had had grabbed by the pussy on standby as like an october surprise right and assange drops the emails on october 7th and then the Clinton campaign ran with the grab him by the pussy thing. Oh, I see. They're they're gonna and all of all the media talked about was grab him by the pussy, and we never discussed what was I in remember. that initial batch of emails. Yeah. It's funny because Podesta remembers it a little differently. On October seventh, the Access Hollywood tape right. comes out. <clears throat> One hour later. WikiLeaks starts dropping my emails uh, into the public. Now, he pretends like the, like it's vice versa. Right, like pre- one relates to the other. The WikiLeaks email drop was scheduled for weeks in advance. It was, in fact, an infuriating tease leading up to it. It was right. planned way ahead of time. Yeah, it wasn't like it was released like he's trying to insinuate. Surprise! Yeah, the yeah. Clinton campaign knew it was coming, and that's why they got their hands on the Axis Hollywood recordings. Uh, into the public. One could say that there might have, those things might not have been a coincidence. Okay. Uh, two days later, the FBI contacted me, and the first thing the agent said to me was, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but your email account had, might have been hacked. When did I said, you yes. Know? Yeah, I said, yes, I was. So you see how he is, like, throwing stones at the FBI? Yeah, these dumb, incompetent sons of bitches didn't even contact me until two days after WikiLeaks started publishing. And, and when they did it, by the way, they also, they also just, in a, in a press release, ground them into pulp because they said, and then when the FBI did contact us, they left a message with our help desk. All right. I just had a thought that just came to mind, and maybe you've discussed this on TechSnap. I'm not sure. But... I know with Gmail and Google, for example, if you log into a uh, your account from a location uh, that is 
really abnormal for you. Say you normally log yeah, into Washington State, you get the alert, uh, letting you know, hey, uh, someone has attempted to get into your account or whatever, or is this you if you haven't done anything? And his account was a Gmail account, if yep. I remember correct. Do you not think that even occurred, or maybe they use Tor or something the masker IP or a VPN to make it look like he's checking his email from somewhere else? Oh, no, I think, got, oh, sure. Unless he's maybe pulling it down in Outlook or something. Yeah. That could be. Yeah. Uh, so I think this is so funny. I think it's so funny that this guy has the sack to sit here and shame the FBI. Oh, yeah. Those things might not have been a coincidence. Okay. He said that the uh, second time he said two that. Two days later, the FBI contacted me, and the first thing the agent said to me was, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but your email account might have been hacked. When did I said you yes. Know? Yeah. So what's so funny about that is he's, he's giving them shit for not informing them fast enough. As, like, like it's the FBI's responsibility to let his, him, his their personal mail. Their implication is that the FBI, and they try. this is what the new narrative of the Clinton campaign, the former Clinton campaign, is the FBI took the email investigation more seriously than the Russian hacking. And his proof is they waited two days to inform me. Well, I have another suggestion, Chase. All right. Do you know how they could have maybe gotten a little heads up? Mm. When when the jackass John Podesta clicked on the phishing link and changed his password, <laughs> maybe he could have shot a quick note to the FBI saying, hey, I just exposed everything and we've been hacked. You know, if you want to get a heads up, since you're the jackass that clicked on the link in the first place, you could have told everybody. And, and the other thing that just you know dawned on me is our, he changed his Gmail uh, password, right? Uh, or he thought he did. He thought he updated it. But he, he didn't. He he actually didn't. So wouldn't it trip him out? Like when he would go and log into his Gmail from somewhere else, and it wouldn't work. By the way, uh, chat room confirms the Podesta email phishing hack was on March nineteenth, two thousand sixteen. Wow. Yeah. Donald Trump wasn't even selected. He wasn't even the fi- he wasn't even the general election candidate. He was, election the he he was, was still the in the primary. Yeah. So if you are to believe that the Russians are behind the hack of John Podesta, then you must also accept the fact that Vladimir Putin is so savvy that he had the wherewithal to assemble his cyber army before Donald Trump is even Chris, the candidate, he, then have them hack John Podesta in an effort to then manipulate the media and the narrative via WikiLeaks to make sure that Donald Trump wins before he even was in the general election. Well, we all know that, is that some Putin damn is that good, you know, especially with the shirt off, and so he probably did. March 19th, before the before the primaries even over, they're claiming the Russians were doing this to help Donald Trump. Said yes. No. Yeah, I said yes. I was aware of that. But when- so now watch. So, so far he's been very cognizant. He's been very on point. He's given you specifics. You could watch immediately as he starts to lie. Tell me if you notice it. When were, when were you aware that you had been hacked? Uh, I think uh, I think I was uh, it, I, it was confirmed on October 7th in some of the DNC uh uh, dr- uh, dumps that had occurred earlier, yeah. and uh, other uh, yeah. uh, campaign officials also had their emails divulge uh, earlier than October seventh. But in one of those DMC dumps, there was a document that 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 he was aware the moment he forwarded it to his IT guy and said, "Hey, is this legit?" That's when he was aware. Back in March, yeah, it appeared to me was that appeared still to me came, to this. might have come from my account, so I wasn't sure. I didn't uh, know. I yeah. didn't know what they had, what they didn't have. Uh, uh, confusion. October 7th when October 7th October 7th uh, Assange uh, both uh, in really in his first statements uh, said things that were incorrect but started dumping them out and said they were gonna wow what did he even just say 
he called said up. Nothing. That's when I knew that they they had the contents. They, of my, they had the, uh, the, the, email the, the, the stuff. <laughs> you can see, like Chuck's, like, what is he even talking about? <laughs> so that's John Podesta shaming the FBI for their uh, not taking it very seriously. You can find lots of coverage about that. The entire Clinton team is going around and blaming on everybody else. Members of the Clinton campaign are trying to explain to their supporters how they lost this election. And Hillary Clinton met with some of her donors, and she described it this way. Take a listen. We have to recognize that, as the latest reports made clear, Vladimir Putin himself directed the covert cyber attacks against our electoral system, against our democracy, apparently because he has a personal beef against me. So she is going around saying he has a personal beef against me. Did, did she say this in the woods or where, where, <laughs> I know, where was right? She? Yeah. In a big, huge tin can. <laughs> She's claiming that because she made commentary on Russia's elections that he has a personal beef. Oh, God. And Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign manager, John Podesta, agrees with her wholeheartedly, obviously. He wrote in an op-ed <laughs> in the Washington Post that in addition to the fact that the FBI uh, director sent these letters just before the election that talked about the finding of new emails, he also said that the FBI did not work hard enough to investigate the DNC hacks. Not- so there's the connection. All Certainly right. not as hard as they did to pursue the email investigation. So they worked harder on the email investigation than they did looking into the Russian hacks. And, of course, we have intel sources that show that Putin approved it. Tonight, the White House demanding that President-elect Trump accept rather than deny. The White House is demanding. (laughs) Tell them to pound sand. The intelligence community's assessment that Russia was responsible for hacking intended to impact the U.S. presidential race. Uh. Mr. Trump obviously knew that Russia was engaged in malicious cyber activity that was helping him and hurting... Secretary Clinton. So, so uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Pre- uh, Press Spokeswoman. Josh. Uh, Josh. Hey, Josh, um, question for you. Yeah. Uh, the content- I could be Josh. You want me to be Josh? Uh, hey, hey, Josh. Yeah, can- I'll be Josh. Can- Josh, can you tell me uh, the, the the information that was released? Um, how did it help uh-huh. Trump? Uh, well, it, uh, it seeded doubt in the American voter. Okay. And made them question the political process. So the content, uh, the stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, are you from RT? I'm sorry, you're not supposed to be asking these questions. I'm sorry. Is your name Guy Inch? Yeah. It might be time to not attack the intelligence community, but actually be supportive. Oh, my God. Oh, Oh my God. Why don't why aren't you chase? Why aren't you more supportive of the intelligence community? You bastard. Don't you realize that all these supportive, uh, you know, security uh, companies out there, you know, they get government contracts. Chase, it is hard to drone children. Give them a break. (laughs) But actually be supportive. However, Trump himself, whose sources tell CNN, is seeing the intelligence behind that assessment in his classified briefings, continues to express doubts that Russia is responsible, tweeting this morning, quote, if Russia or some other entity was hacking, why did the White House wait so long to act? Why did they only complain after Hillary lost? Thank you very much. His transition team is now accusing the White House of trying to undermine his presidency. I think that's very fair. I think that's extremely fair uh, and poison the relationship with Russia. I do. And, you know, if I mean, as much as we love Trump, quote unquote, on the show. <laughs> oh, I, oh, yeah, we love Trump. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, what about the clips I'm about to play later in the show? The oh, slam I, Trump? I, I know. I mean, but, you know, we, we get the messages on both sides. But, yeah. you know, one thing Trump should get out there and say is, you know, 
all right, yeah, the the, the fishing expedition happened, but they told the truth. It, it wasn't like if they, they made up information. It wasn't like they actually uh, changed voter rolls and they actually jeopardized actual votes. All they did, just like uh, Comey's, uh, you know, uh, bomb of, oh, we're reopening the investigation. All right, well, no, no, we're not doing anything further. It's about just having information out there. And last time I checked, I thought that having honest and truthful information, regardless of where it came from, is a good thing. It would also seem like if ever, when it comes to voting, it's it's more important than ever to give the information to the people that are responsible for voting. I mean, how many how many graphics have you seen on your Twitter feed or on Reddit from Politifax saying that this is true or liar, liar, pants on fire? And a lot of people use those fact checking websites because they just they want to cut through this crap and get the actual news. These emails were actual information from the DNC about how shady they were. I, I still firmly believe that the uh, blaming it on the Russians is a ploy to wash away the fact that the Democrats had the, a historically bad defeat. They lost ground on all levels of government and they failed to connect to the American people and so did the media. And it just continues to be easier to blame that on the Russians than it is to acknowledge that particular fact. And meanwhile, what I think is truly sad and I hope I, – I hope this might be a long shot but I hope history adjusts. To reflect that there were actual patriots who lost their lives. Yeah. Seth Rich actually died to help leak this information. A death related to the Democratic National Committee is offering more questions than answers. When America's Rachel Roboto has more on the case of Seth Conrad Rich. You remember Seth Rich? I remember. I believe he was, what, 28 years old. It was a uh, robbery gone wrong, supposedly. And uh, we'd, we'd mentioned him before, but I feel like I, I, I want to make sure people who are not familiar with how the information actually got to WikiLeaks, I want you to hear this clip. It wasn't Russian hacking. It was Bernie Sanders supporters who discovered corruption, who had administrative level access to the network and wanted the world to know. And one of those individuals was Seth Rich. In the wake of the tragic death of DNC staffer Seth Conrad Rich, many questions remain unanswered. Rich was killed in the early hours of Sunday, July 10th, just one block from his Washington, D.C. home in Bloomingdale. Rich's mother, Mary Rich, told police he was on the phone with his girlfriend at the time of the incident. According to reports, Rich's girlfriend heard scuffling noises on the other end of the line, and when she asked what was going on, Rich told her not to worry and hung up the phone. Authorities say Rich was shot twice in the back and had bruises on his hands, knees, and face. Shot and, twice and remember, in the back. No money was taken. Yeah. Nothing was taken off his person. Yeah. Did you know? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've. I don't. I can't remember if I remember to mention this on the show. Uh, kind of another inconvenient fact about Seth Rich. He was scheduled to testify against Hillary Clinton. Police initially reported God, his know, death Chris, as a robbery gone wrong due to the high lot. number of recent thefts because, in the air. To be honest. We're, we're, we're doing a lot of injection or conjecture injection yeah. into this. I mean, I don't know. Actually, I, mean, I, we don't I know. Actually, it could have been a random just I, terrible th- timing. I actually think that is I think that's weak to make that kind of cop out, because I think the reality is I think when you look at the fact that WikiLeaks released a reward 
for information about this person's death, that Julian Assange in an interview said that he was a source. When you look at the fact that also another Republican guy is making a reward for information about his death, I think this man was killed because he leaked the information to WikiLeaks. So why? why I don't think. Why, why, I don't even think that's conspiracy. I think the only reason why it sounds absurd is because it's not part of the regular narrative. But the regular narrative is bullshit. So listen, listen to details about the murder here. On his hands, knees, and face, police initially reported his death as a robbery gone wrong due to the high number of recent thefts in the area. However, police did admit nothing was stolen from Rich, even though he had cash, a cell phone, and a watch on him at the time of his death. No suspects have been arrested, and police are not releasing the type of weapon used to kill Rich at this time. Before his death, Seth Conrad Rich was investigating several cases involving the DNC's electoral fraud and voter suppression, and was set to testify in the case of Hillary Clinton's email investigation. The con- It smells so bad, it stinks to high heaven. Yeah, in fact, the police have even reversed their uh, finding that it was uh, robbery gone wrong. They what, now, are, what are they determining? They're not talking. Is? They're not talking. Yeah, I think that, hold on, I think it's in this report. Fraud this and voter suppression, and was set to testify in the case of Hillary Clinton's email investigation. The content of Rich's scheduled testimony remains unclear, but it does raise questions about the recent scandal involving the DNC. WikiLeaks exposed nearly 20,000 emails from top Democratic National Committee officials, revealing attempts by the committee to derail Bernie Sanders' campaign. After reviewing the content of the emails, some officials are accusing the DNC of committing acts of voter suppression. Several emails detail specific agendas on how officials could turn Democratic voters away from Sanders, including spreading false allegations Sanders is an atheist. Whether or not Rich was aware of these emails remains unclear. Rich's murder follows another unusual death of a former U.N. president, John Ash. Authorities first reported Ash's death as a heart attack, but later recanted statements after an autopsy report showed he died due to a crushed windpipe. Ash died last month, just a few days before he was set to testify with his co-defendant and Lapsang, a Chinese businessman who illegally funneled millions of dollars to American businessman Charlie Tree, who then used the money to donate to the DNC during Bill Clinton's re-election. Charlie Tree was also rumored to be a Clinton Foundation donor during Bill Clinton's reign as president. Prosecutors accused Ash of accepting thousands of dollars in bribes. From- so this, this guy, this guy and Seth uh, are just recent examples. I mean, the, the Seth Rich thing to me seems so obvious. The guy was a Bernie supporter. You can look at his social media profiles to see that. The guy got access to the data because he worked He worked in data analytics for the DNC. His job gave him access to some of this information as his network profile. <laughs> and it also turns out that uh, he supposedly had gone missing for two hours before the murder. So the bruises on his hands, on his neck, and things like that, those are a little more interesting. When Now when you look at the police report, you see, well, they can't really account for two hours before the murder. This bugs so much me. And it's These like, were leaks, Chase. They yeah. were not hacks. Yeah. These were leaks yeah, internally right. because people wanted to expose the corruption. It's not me calling it leaks. Obama calls it a leak in his last press conference. It would have become immediately just one more political scrum. And part of the goal here was to make sure that we did not do the work of the leakers for them by raising more and more questions about the integrity of the election. I don't think it is insignificant that he used the term leakers after Edward Snowden and the crackdown that this specific administration has done on government leaks versus the buzzword of the Russians hacking. These 
are two extremely charged political words, and he used the term leaks. And part of the goal here was to make sure that we did not do the work of the leakers for them by raising... He's saying this is why we didn't make a big deal before the election is because we didn't want to raise, we didn't want to do the work yeah. of the leakers, the leakers, Chase. Some front page news for you this morning from the papers, Washington Times this morning, the headline disgusted. De- you might not have heard about this story because this audio comes from C-SPAN. There's no other Western media outlet that has audio on this story. I have it linked in the show notes. So if you want to, if you want to read the report, it's from the Washington Post. It's linked in the show notes. I, this, I think, is a big deal. Some front page news for you this morning from the papers, Washington Times. This morning, the headline, disgusted Democrat, not Russians, are getting the blame for this WikiLeak. A WikiLeaks figure is claiming that he received leaked Clinton campaign emails from a disgusted Democratic whistleblower while the White House continued to blame Russian hackers Wednesday for meddling in the presidential election and asserted that Donald Trump was obviously aware of Moscow's efforts on his behalf. Craig Murray, a former British ambassador to Uzbekistan and a close associate of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Now listen to these details he's about to give out because you guarantee the CIA, they know, they know somebody leaked it. They, they Internally, they know what's really going on. And the details that are in this news report that isn't getting very much coverage are going to get somebody murdered. Said in a report by the Daily Mail that he flew to Washington for a clandestine handoff with one of the email sources in September. He said he received a package in a wooded area near American University. Neither of the leaks came from the Russians. Mr. Murray told the British newspaper the source had legal access to the information. The documents came from inside leaks, not hacks. So that on the front page of the Washington Times. And then there is also this um, on the front page. Anti-Trump activists sees the GOP elector defections. So this, we'll talk about the, G- the elector, uh, electoral college thing here later. Separate issue. So that is, I think, you have, you have somebody coming in saying, look, <laughs> I met with the leaker. I know who gave it to WikiLeaks. It's not the Russians. So the CIA says that Russia did, in fact, attempt to sway the U.S. presidential election in favor of Donald Trump. And while most of the media is taking that statement as fact, we're pushing back and looking at at least five problems with this claim. This is a reality check you won't see anywhere else. Well, by now you've heard that the CIA is sure that Russia did hack the DNC and John Podesta's emails with the intent of swaying the election toward Donald Trump. And predictably, here's how some politicians have responded. The Russians are not our friends. It defies belief that somehow Republicans in the Senate are reluctant to either review Russian tactics or ignore them. Our men and women in the intelligence community... um who gather and assess intelligence are, are very careful and very deliberate. And if they weren't, they wouldn't be in the positions that they occupy. But what most media isn't doing is actually asking for evidence of these claims. I'm going to give you five problems with what the CIA is saying. Problem number one, how the information was released in the first place, because the CIA did not officially release this information. Rather, anonymous sources inside the CIA leaked this conclusion to the Washington Post on Friday. And then another anonymous source leaked the same conclusion to the New York Times. From the Post, the CIA has concluded in a secret assessment that Russia intervened in the 2016 election to help Donald Trump win the presidency, rather than just undermine confidence in the U.S. electoral system. The Post goes on to report this. 
Intelligence agencies have identified individuals with connections to the Russian government who provided WikiLeaks with thousands of hacked emails and both the DNC and John Podesta's email accounts. So here's the second problem here. These anonymous sources, well, they did not provide any evidence to support those statements. And by releasing the information anonymously, there's no one accountable to provide that proof. The third problem here, the CIA lies. Maybe this should have been the first problem. Not always, but I can give you a number of recent stories where that agency has made claims that have been proven untrue. There are many public examples, but just two recent ones. The Senate Intelligence Committee blasted the CIA in 2014 for an ongoing, quote, culture of misinformation, which they said has undermined the public's trust in America's intelligence leadership. Also, Democratic Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon said that, quote, that trust has been seriously undermined by senior officials' reckless reliance on secret interpretations of the law and battered by years of misleading and deceptive practices within the CIA. And what about that huge Senate report on CIA torture practices? Remember this? It was a four-year, $40 million Senate report. It found that the CIA repeatedly lied about brutal techniques in the years after 9-11. So please excuse us if the public needs the CIA to do more than just leak anonymously its conclusion that Russia tried to sway the election. Oh, and by the way, the fourth problem here, even according to the Post article, those CIA investigators, they haven't even come to an agreement on the conclusion. Again, from the Post, there were minor disagreements among intelligence officials about the agency's assessment, in part because some questions remain unanswered. Well, what does that mean? What are those disagreements? And without providing that information, how can we trust that these disagreements are actually minor, since that's, of course, a relative term? And that leads us to our fifth problem. The fact that repeatedly Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, has said that the DNC leak was not a hack. It was information leaked to WikiLeaks from someone inside the DNC. Well, only days ago, a former British ambassador to Uzbekistan, Craig Murray, said that he has met the person who gave the DNC emails to Assange and to WikiLeaks, and he says... It is not the Russians. Quote, I know who leaked them, Murray told the UK Guardian. I've met the person who leaked them, and they are certainly not Russian, and it's an insider. (laughs) How about that? It's a leak, not a hack. The two are different things. So what you need to know is that on top of all of these questions is one fundamental issue that everyone is missing. The claim is that Russia decided to hack the election not by altering voting results, but by making public actual emails from the Clinton campaign and the DNC. Look, I have said this before. and So I'll leave it at that. But I think that was a great clip that really kind of summarized it all. Uh, And I have only two more clips for cyber and then we are all done. We do actually have real investigations ongoing into real hacking attempts. Do you remember last week when we had a singular clip about the DHS, quote-unquote, hacking the Georgia voting system? Yes. Yeah, and and it was an independent third party. More information on that. Attempt on a state election system. As the campaign entered its final phase, the Homeland Security Department offered states federal resources to secure voting machines and voter registration databases. Georgia's Secretary of State Brian Kemp was among a small group who declined the help. I was criticized quite a bit about that, uh, but what they were offering was really out-of-the-box corporate solutions that some states needed. Uh, We did not because we were already using our own solutions. On Election Day, the Homeland Security Department 
government did not report unusual cyber activity. But according to this letter from Kemp to Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson, on November 15th, there was an attempted breach of the Georgia Secretary of State's network linked to a computer with a Homeland Security address. Huh. Kemp writes... At no time has my office agreed to or permitted Homeland Security to conduct penetration testing or security scans of our network. It could be a, a bad actor in the administration. It could be something else. I'm so they start asking for wow. information about it. You know, they start trying to figure out, well, what was going on? And they start getting all of this weird, like, deferrals and answers. They start. It starts getting really funny. Then it turns out another few states, like three other states, and what, 10 other states? Now it might even be 20 other states Whoa. are reporting the same thing. Hey, I'm Justin Farmer. I'm Jovita Moore. We broke news on Twitter today that Kentucky and West Virginia trace possible cyber attacks to the same U.S. Department of Homeland Security IP wow. address found in a similar attempt in Georgia. So you want to talk about real hack attempts? This is real. Channel 2's investigative reporter Aaron Diamond talked exclusively with Georgia's Secretary of State, who is very concerned now if you want to throw out ip addresses as evidence um okay then <laughs> let's do that let's throw out ip address but as long as we're going to take ip addresses as evidence aaron joins us now live from midtown atlanta aaron- actually dhs has kind of admitted to doing this so we we don't need just ip addresses but you get my point all of a sudden all of a sudden if we can use ip addresses as sole evidence to blame an entire nation for hacking our election Jovita, secretaries of state offices run state election systems, and as the scope of this story grows, so does the number of questions, a lot of red flags that remain unresolved. We need somebody to dig down into this story and figure out exactly what happened. Another demand for answers from Georgia Secretary of State Brian Kemp to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. On Thursday, we confirmed election agencies in West Virginia and Kentucky have also traced suspected cyber attacks on its networks in November to the same DHS IP address Kemp's office already linked to a massive, unauthorized vulnerability scan of his agency's firewall that same month. So now this just raises more questions that haven't been answered about this and uh, continues to raise the alarms and the concern that I have. Through an open records request, we got a hold of the results of a survey Kemp asked the National Association of Secretaries of State send to its members. West Virginia wrote back, this IP address did access our election night results on November 7, 2016. Kentucky responded, the same IP address did touch the Kentucky online voter registration system on one occasion November 1st, 2016. In a letter this week, DHS Secretary Jay Johnson told Kemp the department sourced the mid-November activity in Georgia to a federal contractor conducting what he called normal internet searches on the Secretary of State's website. The problem for Kemp... We haven't been able to recreate this the way they've explained it to us. So they say the contractor did some scanning, he might have knocked on your doors, and the independent IT people that the state has says, no, this was a very aggressive intrusion attempt with multiple attempts going deep. And Kemp told us DHS has yet to explain at least nine other suspected network scans linked to DHS IP address over the last year on or around important primary and presidential election (laughs) dates in Georgia. Kemp's call for answers amplified now by the National Association of Secretaries of State. The main challenge. We have uh, one administration leaving town and another coming in. And so it does remain to be seen just who will be left holding the bag if we don't get a great explanation on what has occurred very soon. 
And in an emailed statement, the Kentucky Secretary of State's office told us it believes the IP address that sparked all of this did not attack its system. West Virginia's Secretary of State and the Department of Homeland Security did not respond to our request so, for comment. So let me get this straight. The Department of Homeland Security actually came out and said, hey, you know, uh, we're available to help you uh, solidify your systems. Yeah. You know, we're here for you. Yeah. A lot of states said, nah, we'll yeah. take care of it on our own. And now they're the ones doing the hacking. If I was going to. Interesting. If I was going to give the most charitable guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if I'm going to I'm not going to see here and say, oh, well, let me fry some bacon. They were hacking to make it look like the Russians. I'll say what they were doing <laughs> was they were trying to do some selling. They were gonna they were gonna scan these websites. They were gonna scan these systems, and then they were gonna come to them and say, "You have these vulnerabilities. Come work with you, us." You you just stole my business idea of like war driving around neighborhoods and saying, "Hey, well, your Wi-Fi is open. When Let I me was help a, you lock it down." When I was an IT contractor working for another company that sent me out, the way we eventually figured out the sales technique that worked the best is we would sell them on a free security audit. We would come in and I would do a penetration test of their network and I would show them all of the things that were wrong and then we'd say, and we will start fixing these when you hire us. I think that's what the DHS was doing. Uh, you have your port 80 open. You need to do something about yeah. that. And so they're going to come in and they were going to scare them with a report and say, yeah. but if you work with us, because there's also something else going on right now is the DHS is still trying to classify election systems as critical infrastructure for the nation that need protection by the DHS. So they can jump in there and take it's it It's an over. expansion of power. Yeah, exactly. And so they yeah. were rocking off on ports trying to see who they could scare and they got caught because some of these states actually took their warning and hired IT professionals to monitor the right. logs. But as states uh, have their own rights, they said, you know, ah, we'll do it ourselves. Yeah. We're not quite sure about you. So we have now we have to transition into Syria to, to, to the uh, to the assassination of the ambassador in Turkey. <clears throat> we got to talk about all of this. It's all connected to cyber and so forth. But why don't we take a moment? Let's let's thank our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter because we got a great turnout this week and we opened up the sack a now, little yeah, bit now, actually, now, Chris, you're going to want to refresh this page. Because I have a very special announcement before we get to the sack. Just, just, just. So, OMG, OMG, so OMG. you might notice now on the page the the rewards uh, are a little bit more formal now. You have a supporter level, which is the two dollars or more. You have the investor level, which is five or more, and you have Club Thirty Three. Uh, uh, Chris, by the way, can you read there uh, what it says there under the limited line there? That's can how we that go uh, 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 under that's Club Thirty Three. There yeah, it says 33. that is now. Oh, oh. It's, holy, holy smoke! <laughs> I don't even believe it. Yes. It finally happened. It did. It finally happened. It did on this hey. show. We have now opened up Club 33 uh, to 42 slots. 33 of 42 slots are claimed currently. That is correct. If, if you've been waiting to get in, now is your chance. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. The answer right. to all things. 42 now. We do that because we send out some cl- some swag right. that honestly costs us a little bit of money, and yep. so it can't be too crazy. Yeah. But I, and then I, you can also, at Club 33, you get in Chase's sack. You get in my sack, but this week, because I'm in the holiday mood, let's open up the sack! What? Oh, come on, uh, man. Uh, uh, oh, all right! Yeah! Woo! Merry Christmas! Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, have a great new year. We got some great messages now. We got a lot of messages in the sack this week because we opened it up to all patrons. And we'll do this from time to time because we love to get the pulse of you guys. First one comes in from Kazro Fox says, hey, Chris and Chase, just want to let you know what you're doing is truly making a difference. If it weren't for you, I'd probably still be watching the mainstream media going along with the narrative. Keep up the great work. 
Computer Dude says, not sure what to say. I discovered a nice breakfast today. A can of tuna, plus a half bag of shredded strips, cabbage, and carrots. Great taste and crunchy, too. <laughs> I don't celebrate Christmas, but I don't mind it. Tech Dragon says, hey, keep up the good work. I'm happy to be a patron helping fund this awesome content. Thank you, sir. Uh, hopefully I get this name right. Uh, Latchlin or Lachlan? I like it. Hey, dudes. Have you ever thought about doing a half show that is about the news of that week and then going deep dive into a singular topic? It could be about current news or historically looking back over the unfiltered sink and a super summary of the said topic. And as secretly, that's what we really do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, we go deep. Although this week, <clears throat> it's all about the Syria. But, yeah, see, every week there's some yeah, overarching we, we do. thing. And, yeah. You know, he did have one additional request. He wants a little bit more conspiracy bacon. Mmm, bacon tasty. Josh says, hey, so excited for more non-election coverage. Keep it up, guys. I Fle- secretly use Archie Linux. Thank you. Uh, Flexola says, got any daring, heroic, or otherwise interesting stories as the captains of Unfilter's battle against misinformation? <laughs> Have you been the subject of NSA investigations, target of hacking, uh, hacking attempts, encrypted communications with spies, seen the van at the end of the street, or other juicy oddities that may Mostly or may have not are, put your life in danger? Mostly what we are subject to is uh, varying being called either a Hillary supporter or a Trump supporter. Yeah, we uh, I get that a lot. We, we, well, we get that. I get it both ways. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. Cameron says, hey, yo, just wanted to drop by and let you guys know that you have impacted my perception of how I literally shouldn't be watching the news. <laughs> yeah. Been around since, well, the pilot episode. Wow. Oh. And love what this has evolved into. Keep up the great work. Much love from the state that protrudes into Canada. Pop quiz, you know what state that is? A lot of them, Chase. Well, there's a state that actually kind of goes inside Canada. Which one? I believe it's Michigan. Oh, I was thinking a lot. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matt C says, hey, what are your thoughts on Rex Tillerson's Russians conflict of interest Ooh. and the emergence of of big oil and Wall Street in positions of power within Trump's administration. Damn, that's a great question, and it's uh, something we're going to talk about in today's show. Yes. Up, we got some Trump clips for that. I, I'm wondering how they managed to get there, and if perhaps some bacon in Trump's <laughs> intentions <laughs> worth cooking up on the podcast. Show yeah. me the money! Yes, you are. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? Yeah. I'm going to give it to him, Chase. You're going to give it to him? Thank you very much. Are we going to start doing uh, clip requests? I mean, that's another nah. show. Yeah, 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 I know. I'll do it every now and then. Though. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, hey, Matt C says, hey, also, he also added one more thing. You guys called the rushing hacking meme before the debates, and it's become clear through your hilarious clips of the media to make phishing sound like a super intricate conspiracy <laughs> that the Dems have been molding this propaganda piece for a while now. That's what's yeah. great. Our audience, like for this particular topic, yeah, our audience is great. generally technical enough where they're like, that is such crap. I can't believe they're trying to do that. That's been a good one for us. Because oh, yeah. sometimes when we cover stuff, at first people are like, you guys are crazy. You guys don't know what you're talking about. And you then guys, later on, oh, it becomes more obvious. You guys are Hillary fans. I can't yeah. believe you're talking. You guys are Trump fans. I can't believe. Right, yeah, do you remember when we first suggested the U.S. was backing rebels in Syria people thought we were just the most crazy Alex Jones oh, that we were out nuts. there yeah, yeah. They, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey guys Murphy here hey Murphy. Hey, Murphy just wanted to say thank you guys for the show recently I've been so burnt out on politics but I keep listening to you guys because you get me the info I feel is worth my time and for that I continue my $5 a month support let's see where 2017 takes us on this crazy ride and hopefully the new Star Trek show rocks. What? What is he talking what? about? What? What is he talking about? Hmm. I don't know. Is he leaking classified information? Uh, actually, I think his email was hacked. 
Martin says, hey guys, Canadian reporting in. I love what you're doing with Unfilter. Your coverage of so many different news outlets, even obscure ones outside the U.S., makes a huge difference at how I've come to understand the media. You've opened up my mind and allowed me to formulate my own opinions about world events rather than just following a long lockstep with the mainstream media narrative. Keep up the great work. Merry Christmas and happy Festivus for the rest of us. Hey. Hey, Citizen Earth Media writes and says, Hey, North Carolina listener here wanting to say thanks for all you do and thanks for the occasional coverage of all the crazy politics going in going on in our state. Last week, our Republican-dominated legislature went into two special sessions and mm. passed laws that limited the powers of the incoming Democratic governor. I yeah. heard about this. Yeah, this is yeah. nuts. And even now, as I type this, they just went into a fifth special session of the year this time to discuss repealing hb2 house bill 2 this uh, is what way, happens yeah. when your when your side dominates and they totally get all the power and the you know what it's it, when- oh go ahead well i was just gonna say when there's the mistakes states, when we make a mistake we're <laughs> honest about it we own up to it and when they win big they yeah i, I it's awful though i agree yeah uh andrews Chris and Chase, congrats on the show. You've been streaming fire and the world is listening. Would you have a segment with a guest commentary on a particular topic? Like, that's this right now. That's this. <laughs> I, think, I think that would add even more diversity and depth to this great program. I like that. Much love, ladies, broskies. Greetings to everybody from the mother, Lithuania. I've always fantasized. Wow, Lithuania. I've always in. fantasized about like somebody cropping up and they read it and then like with clips and commentary and then we can start including them in the show. Yeah. Veratunda, hey guys, yep, me again. Just want to say, phew, ain't been a hell of a year for Unfilter. I mean, just running down the significant events along with the media spin of them could take a week of shows. I hope this year more than any other, have people have woken up to how the mainstream media have become so utterly irrelevant and vac vac. I, I don't even know that word. Anyway, vacuous. It's got a lot of words yeah, in there. That was from, only supposed to be three sentences. I know, but that's okay. This is a good one. From great institutions like CNN and the BBC to the hysteria against smaller players like RT and the Young Turks, I wonder how so many people, how, how longer people will be tied to this 20th century of distributing news. Anyway, he goes on to say, you know, hey, have a great Christmas, roll on 2017, it's going to be a terrifying year. And you know, that's the cool thing about the internet and why listener-supported stuff is so important, because we're able to have our own niche and, and compete in that in that realm. So thanks a lot, you guys. Bubba Nitro says, hey, guys, I loved and follow the show for nearly a year now. I've been a supporter for almost as long. I do have to call you out on a nitpick, though. Sometimes you'll present a big honking piece of bacon, and later in shows, it'll be brought up as if it was a fact. Please keep the bacon where it belongs and keep up the good work of bringing us say, the facts we would really need. I well, would sometimes the bacon pieces actually turn into facts. No, if, if, it's, if, if we think it's a clear conspiracy, we will, we will declare it as bacon. If you hear us throw something out that sounds outlandish, I would, either, I would either suggest perhaps searching the back catalog of shows or look in the show notes. Because a lot of times to keep the conversation going, instead of saying, check the show notes every five minutes. And right. I also have this bad habit of saying, check the supporter sync. But... I, I to to just just check the show notes. If you hear us say something that sounds outlandish, just double check in there. We may have already referenced it. That's something we try to do. Yeah. A lot of time, if we think something's a conspiracy, we'll just say this is a conspiracy. Yeah. However, one of the things we've stopped doing is we've just we've stopped identifying when this is the information you're not being told, and we just tell you what the real information is because there's so many of the people in our audience when something sounds crazy to you. To, to a lot of other people, it's a yeah. foregone conclusion that they not only know more about, but they've already thought about it a lot. And so there's a real balance we have to we have to walk between 
over-explaining something that loses the people that are ahead of everybody else and under-explaining something that makes it sound like we're just making stuff up yeah. all the time. Yeah. Uh, Kafka writes in and says, hey. Oh, my God. Are we still going? Oh, come on. Merry Christmas. All right. These are our people who support us, buddy. Hey, guys. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. Uh, Fair enough. Hey, I'm new here to the Unfiltered Scene. I want to tell you guys how much my girlfriend and I have loved your show these past few months since we started listening. What you do is very unique and much, much needed. That's nice. And last thing comes in from Aaron says, hey. Will 2017 be the year we find out Russia didn't hack the DNC and Hillary? Best wishes to the new year. Hey, guys, best wishes to you guys as well. Remember, most of your messages are always read, but if you want to be read on the air, you got to jump in right now to Club 33. We have nine spots as we record this. We opened it up to 42, which is the answer of everything. So head over to patreon.com slash unfilter to support us. And a big thanks to every single one of you guys who support us on Patreon. If it wasn't for you guys, we honestly wouldn't be here. So thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, very much. OMG, OMG, OMG. All right. Wow, that was a great... That was. It's nice to hear from everybody. Well, now we and, have, and that's why I wanted it to open it right, up. All know. right. It's it's nice. Well, let's get into some meat now. Yes. Uh, ooh, Aleppo. What is, what is Aleppo? Aleppo? Aleppo is a hot mess for us. Oh, no, it's bad. Breaking news now on Fox News Channel. The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, has handed a victory to Syria's murderous dictator, Bashar al-Assad. Oh, how do you really feel, Shep? Victory in a proxy war, pitting the United States against Russia and Syria. Now, defeated survivors are leaving what's left of their homes in Syria's largest city. All right, there's a lot already here in the first 18 seconds of this clip. Defeated survivors are leaving what's left of their home now that the Assad regime has taken over the city. The city that is the government's own territory. And the only reason that the civilians are leaving is because the Assad military is making it possible for them to flee to shelter. And they were being held captive by the rebels that the U.S. backs. And speaking overseas, civilians wounded in the Syrian civil war might finally get out of the crossfire. Tens of thousands of civilians have been trapped for years. Tens of thousands of civilians have been trapped for four years because the rebels that we back and Saudi Arabia finances and Turkey trains and Qatar informs and gives military equipment to these sons of bitches, these bastards that have held these hostages in Aleppo for four years are finally getting out, not because the rebels have won, not because the anti-Assad regime forces have finally taken Aleppo, but because Russia and Assad and Iran have kicked the ass of the West-backed rebels out of Aleppo, and now that they're out of there, the civilians are finally getting fed. In the Syrian city of Aleppo, Turkish officials say a total of 50,000 people are now able to leave that embattled city. Rescuers are starting, of course, with the wounded. A tenuous ceasefire appears to be holding for now, but much of eastern Aleppo, as you can see, has been reduced to rubble. This is a humanitarian tragedy that was fueled by the United States, by Saudi Arabia and others in the West. The evacuation ends the four-year occupation of Aleppo by rebel forces. John Huddy follows us news live from our Mideast Bureau. Hi, John. Yeah, well, Leland, at this point, we're hearing that at least 1,000 people have been evacuated from eastern Aleppo so far. Now, that number could be higher because this has been going on since early this morning, the evacuation process. So we're waiting- Of course, he's not in Aleppo. He's in Jerusalem. Uh, however, Assad is allow- allowing Western journalists in. 
Well, RT is one of the very few news organisations to have a correspondent on the ground in Aleppo. Lizzie Phelan's there for us. She gauged reaction from locals to claims of genocide and massacres taking place in the city. One of the things that's happening right now that's truly remarkable is the media is saying that the Assad troops are killing civilians. They're rewriting what's been going on. It's the rebels that are shooting at civilians. It's the rebels that yeah. held civilians hostage for four years in Aleppo. Yeah. But the but John Kerry and the media are actually just saying the exact opposite. They're saying the exact opposite of what's happening. They're just lying. Last night, the streets of downtown Aleppo were filled with people celebrating the news that the Syrian army is on the brink of retaking the whole city. But this morning when we woke up, instead of uh, waking up to headlines covering those celebrations, instead, the news was filled with uh, unverified claims. We wanted to speak to people from Aleppo, including those who have just fled from East Aleppo today, uh, about these claims to hear their thoughts. In the news... So they interview the people and the people say that they're thankful that the government troops have taken back over the city, but that doesn't mean that changes the narrative. Right. In fact, one of the things is that if you were to listen to the reporting that comes out of here, you would be, you would think that the Assad regime has been gassing innocents, they've been bombing the, the city, holding the, uh, the people in there, that the rebels were trying to do their best to protect the civilians and trying to set up corridors. It's all crap. It's all absolute crap. And the fact that there's no real journalist on the ground except for journalists from RT is a crime. And so there's one Canadian journalist. Her name is Eva Bartlett. She, from Canada, went over there on her own dime six times. Uh, three times I think she was sponsored. Another few times she did like a GoFundMe type fundraiser. Wow. She awesome. went to Aleppo and she has real reporting. She's not Russian. She's from Canada. She's just an independent journalist and she held a press conference on December 9th. This clip sort of sets her up. On something that Sarah Flounders mentioned, which is that uh, today in the General Assembly, the representative of my country, Canada, is raising or has raised a resolution which is not about human rights. It's not about uh, the people of Syria. It's a resolution meant to point fingers and to vilify the governments of Syria and Russia. And this resolution relates to a UN Security Council resolution that was vetoed by Russia and China some days ago. That resolution pertained to another useless ceasefire in Syria, which would have no bearing on, uh, no bring no good to the people of Syria, and which follows um, a week of liberation of areas of Aleppo, which now amounts to about seven or 95 percent of areas of Aleppo that have been occupied for years by terrorist factions. So at this time, when 100,000 civilians in these areas occupied for years by terrorist factions have been liberated. The UN, uh, parties in the UN wanted to impose another ceasefire. And I, I want to remind people why these ceasefires are indeed pointless. The last ceasefire in September was from the very um, start negated by 20 main terrorist factions who declared they were not going to participate and from the very beginning violated the ceasefire over 300 times during the duration of the ceasefire. In fact, the current ceasefire that's been set up, the U.S. hasn't been even invited to the table. And so some journalists are sitting back in the audience and they say, listen, you're calling us a bunch of liars. You're saying we're not reporting on what's going on there. She has a response to that. Um, document that. And, and secondly, um, you talk about the corporate media, the Western media, the lies uh, and all of this. Uh, could you explain what you think might be the agenda from us in the uh, Western media? 
and why we should lie, why the uh, international organizations on the ground should lie, why we shouldn't believe all these uh, ac absolutely documentable uh, Facts that we and this is a great point, like we just got in the email. You guys are just saying these things. The U.S. is backing the rebels. The U.S. is funding the rebels. You're just saying these things. How dare you say these things? That's not a fact. That's a conspiracy. That's fake news. Well, she has an answer to that point. See from the ground, these hospitals being bombed, these civilians who are talking about the atrocities that they have been experiencing. Um, how can you justify calling all of us liars? Sure. Thank you. Um, I mean, there are certainly honest journalists amongst the very um, compromised establishment media. Let's start with your second question. So, international organizations on the ground. Tell me which ones are on the ground in eastern Aleppo. These are the ones that uh, the UN cites, Samantha Powers, when she's condemning Russia and shaming them. Yeah. These are the same group that Kirby, that John Kerry, that... Obama himself, others have cited as the atrocities that the Assad regime is committing, the, the gas bombing, these sources have been cited as the information originator. On the ground in eastern Aleppo. Yeah, okay, I'll tell you, there are none. There's none. Yeah. There are none. These organizations are relying on the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, which is based in Coventry, UK, and which is one man. One guy. One person. They're relying on compromised groups like um, the White Helmets, which let's let's talk about the White Helmets. The White Helmets were funded were founded in 2013 by a British ex-military officer. They have been fu uh, funded to the tune of 100 million dollars by the U.S., U.K., and Europe and other states. They purport to be rescuing civilians in eastern Aleppo and Idlib, yet no one in eastern Aleppo has heard of them. And I say no one, bearing in mind that now 95% of these areas of eastern Aleppo are liberated. The White Helmets purport to be neutral, yet they can be found um, carrying guns and standing in the dead bodies of Syrian soldiers. And uh, their video footage actually contains uh, children that have been recycled in different reports. So you can find a girl. Recycled is not as grotesque as it sounds. Recycled is when you use the same child yeah, same actor. Yeah, same over Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Good clarification. Recycled in different reports. So you can find a girl named Aya who turns up in a report in month, say, August, and she turns up in the next month in two different locations. So they are not credible. The SOHR is not credible. Unnamed activists are not credible. Once or twice, maybe, but every time, not credible. Thank so you. Your sources on the ground, you don't have them. Thank you. Um, as for your agenda, not your, but the agenda of some corporate media, it is the agenda of regime change. Yes. How can the New York Times, I was reading it this morning, or how can Democracy Now!, which I was reading the other day, maintain until this day that this is a civil war in Syria? I don't how know. How can they maintain until this day that, there were that the protests were unarmed and nonviolent until, say, 2012? That is absolutely not true. False. How can they maintain that the Syrian government is attacking civilians in Aleppo when every person that's coming out of these areas occupied by terrorists is saying the opposite? So, so what is it all about? Why, why, is there, why do we want regime change? Why do we want to cause so much damage to Syria? And I think while we're talking about this, I want to show some imagery on the stream for those of you that are watching the video version because I want to make sure I drive home what's happened here, what the U.S. and our allies are responsible for. This is Aleppo before and after the battle, and I'm going to leave this just plain while we talk about this. Why are we doing this to Syria? Why? I we're mean, doing it, it because Saudi Arabia wants to sell oil to Europe. Saudi Arabia wants to cut Moscow out. 
and Moscow sells oil to Europe via Syria. They the reason why Assad and Russia are allies is because they're business partners for selling energy to Europe. And this is what it's all about. It's all about oil. It's all about selling energy to Europe. It's about backing Saudi Arabia. It's about getting in on the energy market. It's just about oil, partially. It's also about weakening Russia. It's yeah. about playing into larger NATO goals. Yeah. But a huge reason this is even happening, the reason why Saudi Arabia got involved and then the U.S. decided to get support them is because of pipelines. So why do we link it to Russia? Why, what's going on? Where's, what's the connection? We are getting our asses exposed. It is, it is obvious to anyone that can think critically what's happening in Syria now, and Russia is exposing that. By going after the terrorist organizations that we were funding, by blowing up some of our bases, there, was, there, have, been, there have been reports of bases that were in hillsides that had a lot of our equipment in there that Russia blew up intentionally knowing that U.S. personnel could be in there. And we can't just come out and say that because it would expose to the general public what's going on. So we're pissed at Russia. We are pissed that they ruined our game. We're pissed that Assad is pulling ahead. We're pissed that they got us out of Aleppo. We're pissed that they're screwing up our energy market plans. So we're doing everything we can to shame them and go after them. Maybe we can't put bullets in their soldiers, but we can shame them in the public. We can ruin their relationship in Europe. We can ruin their relationship in Germany. We can tarnish their image on the international stage. Obama can denigrate them about the size of their economy and what they sell. And we can shame them into making them look like the big international boogeymen because in the background, they're kicking our ass and revealing what's really going on in Syria. It's embarrassing. And it screws with our plans. It's all about Syria because we are the terrorists in Syria. We are the people that created this. We helped it happen. It's not just the United States. It's our allies as well. But because we allow it to happen, we are completely complicit. Yep. The thing nice. is, yep. what's happened in Aleppo is the biggest humanitarian advantage. Nothing bigger has happened for, for, the, for, the, for the people that are trapped in this war Nothing more important has happened than the government forces getting there and taking Aleppo back, which we have fought against for four years, (laughs) knowing that 50,000 civilians are trapped in that city. We backed those people. They're chopping off the heads of children. Why? Because of pipelines and strategic alliances. We're the terrorists. It's all about Syria. And the blaming of Russia and the public over every single thing is because we know we know that we can't just call them out for what's happened in Syria. We can't do that. So instead, we're going to make life miserable for them. We're going to pile on the sanctions. We're going to make them pay for what they've done to us in Syria, for screwing up our plans with Assad. And there's all kinds of blowback happening. You've heard about all of the different terrorist attacks, the bus, and, of course, the assassination. This is all connected, my friend. The Fox News alert, a gunman opens fire on Russia's ambassador to Turkey. Now, multiple reports say the diplomat is dead. That attack happened in our first hour of happening now. It happened in Turkey at a photo exhibition during which the ambassador was delivering a speech in the Turkey capital of Ankara. And we are just getting our first photos of the gunman who wore a suit, as you can see, and a tie. And according to eyewitnesses, shouted, shouted Allah Akbar, God is great in Arabic, before firing several shots. And during this time, he continued to rant 
Um, that rant was said in Turkish, however, and that's notable for a few reasons. George- and it was about Aleppo, actually, which is kind of a key piece of information. Russia will hold a funeral tomorrow for its murdered ambassador to Turkey. Turkish media reports say the police officer who shot the ambassador... Yes, he was a Turkish police officer. ...provided security for Turkey's president eight times in recent months. Holly Williams in Istanbul is tracking the investigation. Holly, good morning. So that's actually particularly interesting, I think, that he was a Turkish police officer. Uh, and there are there that that is that's probably worth discussing even further. But you have to wonder what policies created the conditions to make this possible. Then The shooter we know was a member of the Turkish police. What has happened to the police forces under Erdogan and how might that have factored into this killing? Well, Ken Klippenstein and I, uh, we spoke to someone named Ahmed Yayla, who is actually a former Turkish police chief who's now at George Mason University at their Center for the Study of Violent Extremism. Uh, He's testified before Congress, and he um, actually was uh, one of the police officials who were purged. Um, In 2014, Erdogan started purging the police, claiming that they were a haven of cadres for his government's arch enemy, Fethullah Gulen, the exiled cleric who's now in Pennsylvania. Um, so the guy that they blamed for the attempted coup in Turkey is the same guy they're blaming for making policies such that Turkey had to rejigger their police force, fire a whole bunch of people, and make it so that way it was much harder for the police force to vet who was joining it. America's state-sponsored media is set for a shakeup. The U.S. Congress recently voted to... Did you hear about this? Uh, no, not the media reform stuff. All right. Well, so we'll cover that in a second because okay. uh, I think it kind of plays into all of this. But let's finish with the turkey angle. Uh, I think this is probably the most important part is this this assassination is linked to what's going on in Aleppo. It's blowback. There are different groups. There's lots of different groups that the U.S. has no influence over that are pissed about how it's gone down in Aleppo. They're pissed at the West and they're pissed at Russia. They're pissed at the West for not helping enough and they're pissed at Russia for coming in and kicking their asses. And so there's blowback. That's what a lot of this has been about. And, you know, I don't I don't think I don't think this is going to blow over very quickly. This is Putin giving a press conference. I would like to give my sincere condolences to the family and friends of uh, our comrade. Putin has given the orders to find out all of the information about the attack, to figure out who is responsible. I would like to request the Russian foreign ministry to award Mr. Karlov post-mortem and uh, offer its uh, proposals for making a memorial. And I guess Erdogan did give uh, Putin a call and said, look, our cooperation, I wasn't behind this. I I don't really know who did it. And now there's been conflicting reports of which groups are supposedly responsible for this guy. We're hearing now conflicting reports coming into the newsroom about which groups may have claimed responsibility for the assassination of the Russian ambassador. Until now, the only thing we had to go on were the ramblings and rantings of the killer who died here himself also on Monday night. Let's recap. References there to Syria and the situation in Aleppo. And it now seems that the uh, 
our, excuse me, the Army of Conquest coalition, known as Jaysh al-Fatah, has issued a statement, or did so even on Monday, but it's only been picked up now, claiming responsibility for the terrorist incident here on Monday night. Now, part of that coalition is Jabhat Fatah al-Sham, previously known as al-Nusra Front, and in Aleppo itself, it has been battling the Syrian Arab army there, backed by, of course, Russian airstrikes. So there is a connection there, uh, giving increased weight. So it could just be this shooter is uh, an extremist with ties to the situation in Syria and wanted Russia to pay for kicking their ass. It's also possible that this guy is a hitman for hire in a highly corrupt police organization with ties to all different organizations. Wow. So we really don't know what's going on, uh, but I don't think Russia is going to just sit back and uh, ignore the assassination of their ambassador. No, no. I think at the same time, there's also other attacks going around. Uh, There was the Berlin attack. Chilling new reporting tonight after the terror attack inside that Christmas market. A truck plowing through the crowd. The hunt is on tonight for that suspected driver. And this evening, we learn investigators now believe the original driver of the truck had been hijacked, killed. He was delivering steel to Berlin. He'd been talking with his wife and said he would call her back after a stop for a meal. Tonight, you can see the smashed out windshield of the truck, the aftermath of that deadly attack. This evening, the heightened alert right here in the U.S. after ISIS called for truck attacks. Truck attacks, Chase. You know, it kind of bothered me a bit to um, hear that they were so quick to go to the attack model, right? Mm. Like, there was no information. There was no hard evidence yet and they, they, were, they were quick to attack yeah nothing that really quick. says that he's isis inspired this very could have easily been i mean of course you could say anybody from syria is i yeah. suppose isis inspired and uh then there's another story that i think is interesting when it comes to germany kind of unrelated to the Ber- Ber- berlin attack but i think still worth us covering Hysteria in America of accusations that Russian hackers influenced the presidential vote now conveniently spreading to Germany, which oh. of course is gearing up you for see this? own general election next year. The Russian scare. Newspapers have been flooded with headlines warning of possible Kremlin interference. See this. Oliver reports from. This is exactly what happens when a story like this is allowed to propagate. With yeah. just just, just keeps on going. and so now no fact checking and just pushing a message. There are elections next year, and their newspapers are already writing about this. Right. We've seen it in the U.S. We've seen it in the United Kingdom. It now seems that it's here as well. I really think this is part of a plan to turn allies away from Russia that might be interested in Russia's energy market or arms, and and drive them toward sources that are more Western friendly. It really feels like just a sustained <laughs> campaign. Uh, you want to shift gears? I'm done talking about this. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm totally I cool just, with that. <laughs> I really feel like uh, if you've ever kind of stayed uninformed about Syria and you don't really know what's going on there, you're not getting the entire picture about why the Russians are getting blamed, why Putin is the big bad guy. You're missing out on the entire thing. Why don't we talk about Clinton's emails, though? Let's shift Donald gears. Donald Trump and Bill Clinton are trading insults over the election and how it was won. The feud comes as the FBI yesterday unsealed the warrant to search for Hillary Clinton's email 
emails on a computer belonging to the husband of her aide, Huma Abedin. So we got some actual evidence. Unlike with the Russia uh, attributions, we got actual documents here. Highly redacted, but actual documents. Clinton's allies say the document reveals the FBI had very little evidence to justify the search. Juliana <gasps> no. Goldman's in Washington with more. Juliana, good morning. Jeez. Maybe that's why they wanted to search the laptop, because right. they lacked evidence. They needed to look. That's the whole point well, the of the search new fodder to Hillary Clinton's team who have blamed FBI Director James Comey for her loss to Donald Trump. They say it shows investigators knew the new emails were just like the thousands they went through before Comey concluded in July he wouldn't prosecute Clinton or anyone on her staff for mishandling classified information. This is really striking because this demonstrates something to you that when the media wants to parse language, they will. To, to in this case, to favor Hillary Clinton and say that Comey didn't have a case. However, when the CIA says that they have pretty good confidence about something, there's no parsing there. You just take it whole cloth and run with it. So all of a sudden now we're parsing evidence and language when in the previous stories we're not parsing that evidence and language. It's like they're selectively applying their journalism. According to the October 30th warrant application, FBI agents said there is probable cause to believe the laptop shared by Huma Abedin and her estranged husband, Anthony Weiner, contained classified information. Well, that sounds like just as strong as an, of an attribution we're getting. There's, it's, they, they have a, a strong confidence that the Russians hacked the DNC. No doubt, Chris. Well, the FBI had a strong confidence with no doubt, no doubt, they had no a strong doubt. confidence. Yep. There's classified information on there. Yep, in in one scenario, that's good enough to go on. But yet in another scenario, well, what the hell were they thinking? How dare they? According to the October 30th warrant application, FBI agents said there is probable cause to believe the laptop shared by Huma Abedin and her estranged husband, Anthony Weiner, contained classified information. The warrant doesn't indicate they had found classified information, only that there was the potential to cause exceptionally grave damage to national security. It was the discovery of the emails that prompted FBI Director James Comey just 11 days before the election to send a letter telling lawmakers the FBI was reopening its investigation into Clinton's emails. Former Press Secretary Brian Fallon responded to yesterday's release, saying it shows the FBI had no new evidence to reopen the investigation. That's why they wanted to look on the laptop. Yeah, nothing it wrong with that. It is soft in the wound to see FBI rationale was this flimsy, and Comey's intrusion on the election was as utterly unjustified as we suspected at time. You know what else is salt in the wound? To see how ungracefully the Democrats are losing this election. That's, that's a little embarrassing to watch. Just a day earlier, Bill Clinton blamed his wife's loss in part on what he called the bogus emails and the FBI. We had the Russians and the, and the FBI deal, but she couldn't prevail against that. Yeah. Hmm. He should know better than to be blaming Russian hacking or Jim Comey. So I have some more clips, you know, that I will play in the overtime specifically about what Bill Clinton just said and why it turns out that Trump didn't get any better numbers really than Romney did. It was just that Clinton numbers were worse. So we'll talk about that. But uh, this this uh, this episode featured a lot of uh, moments from Obama yep. at a press conference this week that you and I were watching live. Yeah, that, that was uh, the last one of the year, and that was fun and interesting to watch. He yeah. seemed uh, he seemed a little slow, a little off his game, but overall, you know, he just stayed stayed with it. He did have one of his famous moments, though. You caught it. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Uh, it's a famous Obama press conference moment. Yes, yes, I do, and I, sorry, I called it on. on. Somebody's not feeling good? What? All right. <laughs> I can't believe he pulled we, uh, this at a, at, a, at a press conference. This is 
So for for all you audio people out you there, think this do, you is guys, set? do you think this is staged? Oh, totally. I, the only I, reason I, I, I would give it to I, you is I don't because believe it, it. What I think, I think after Obama's out of office, somebody will put together a supercut of right. how many times this has happened because this happens all the time. It happens all even since he was on the campaign trail. Now these that are was one of those things. There's a his, lot of people. Jam, there's right. a lot of people. They're old. Maybe they're just getting. But it's kind of funny. Let's listen to what happens. Right. While we uh, while we have. We got. Uh, we can get. We can get our doctors back there to help out. So Obama sends his doctor in. So, I, and and this isn't my joke. I found. I saw this on Twitter. But so Obama care literally. Right? <laughs> oh, that's good. Chase. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's pretty wow. good. All right. I like that. Uh, so the elect the electoral college vote happened. You heard them mention that. From unlikely candidate to unstoppable president-elect, Donald Trump is set to officially become the 45th president of the United States. Protesters shouting shame on you as Electoral College members cast their votes in Pennsylvania, where Trump beat Hillary Clinton by less than 1%. 20 votes for Donald J. Trump. Realizing the likelihood of electors changing their votes were about that slim. I don't know if there's a realistic chance, but I think this is our last chance. State by state, electors casting their ballots, including Bill Clinton in New York. In Minnesota, one elector going rogue, replaced after refusing to cast his vote for Hillary Clinton. Similarly in Maine, one elector trying to vote for Bernie Sanders going against state law. That ballot was ruled out of order, and in the end, he voted for Clinton. And in Wisconsin, the allegations of Russians hacking the election to help Trump persisting. You know, I have a, I don't know if that's true. I have a link in the show notes that suggests that 75% of Americans polled are not buying that the Russians have influenced the election. No, and and like I said, I mean, I would understand if they put out fake news. Yeah. <laughs> but no, seriously, yeah. I mean, what the, what they threw out there was legit information. So it wasn't the, like it wasn't. One of the things that did get Trump elected wasn't the Russians. It wasn't fake news. It was promise of shaking up Washington, draining, draining the, swamp. the swamp. So uh, that's... Swamp? You got to wonder. I, I just mentioned the entire reason we're in Syria is really because of energy and pipelines. So... Are you getting a little nervous about Trump's uh, cabinet picks, Chase? They're interesting because of the big money that's involved with a lot of them and the lack of actual experience that they have for those positions. Donald Trump talked on the campaign trail about creating jobs in the energy sector. Trump's cabinet is being labeled by some liberals as the oil cabinet. Yeah. In fact, the oil. The oil cabinet is actually a really great way to put it. And if you look at all of the I mean, look at all of the things we've been doing in the Middle East. There really seems to be an underwriting energy policy pushing it all forward. You, individually, it's hard to say, well, it's energy related when you look at individual incidents. But when you zoom out and look at all of our actions in the Middle East, there's there's other See, there's obviously other motives. But energy definitely seems to be a big part. But, but what what I what I wonder, Chris, is the whole thing of all right. So he's he's lining the cabinet with these corporate shills, if you will, that have loads of money and little experience in politics. If he's gunning to want to do a second four-year term or at minimum keep the Republicans in power, why in the hell would he do this? Is it just because he doesn't give a care? Or, I mean, you would think he would be looking towards the future in this. Yeah, like covering – like. Right. The one thing he does really good is taking care of Donald Trump. Right. You'd think he'd be like planning for future Donald like, Trump. Wouldn't he want to stay for four year, uh, for eight years instead of four? I don't four? think so. Nope. I, mean, I, I think he doesn't. Maybe that's why the Republicans love him so much deep down. But, because they but know they why can, would he, But why would he do this? He could inherently ruin everything Republican. 
I guess it's all about how you spin it. I don't. That's a, let's talk more about that. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. here's who we got. Labeled by some liberals as the oil cabinet. In fact, the oil patch is pretty much loving what they're seeing right now. There is plenty of oil influence in the next administration. Meanwhile, the opponents of the Dakota Access Pipeline are concerned about the future fight. Radio talk show host Joel Heitkamp is a regional talk show host in the Midwest and says supporters are expecting a change when Trump takes office. Yeah, so the pipeline, the uh, the uh, Standing Rock, uh, North Dakota pipeline issue is also really interesting uh, once Trump is in office. But you know, I just it, I just thought about an answer to your question. Okay. The only way I could really see this working out is if. If you just if he just unshackled some of the oil companies and let them go at it and just ravage the country, ravage the Middle East, and by doing so, lots of jobs are created. So uh, there's like a total short term, you know, uh, ravage our resources and our future, our future environment Unless, for short came short. If, if you had short term job growth and it blew up, like imagine, you know, speaking of North Dakota, one of the things okay. that happened in North Dakota right. during the fracking boom is that economy in North Dakota exploded. Are you right. familiar oh, with yeah, this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this actually happened up with uh, Canada, too, yeah. and, and their stuff. Absolutely. What if that happened on a larger scale across the country? On not, I'm not saying like on like some sort of revolutionary scale, but on a larger scale, what if what happened there in those places happened in a few patches throughout the country because of just totally letting the oil companies go at it? And so in his first, in his first four years, at the end of those four years, the economies turned around because everybody's making money off the blood of the earth. Right. I... I would I would hope that uh, us as Americans are a little bit smarter than that. Like we would see, well, this is not really yeah, a right, long term. Shut up! People love money. <laughs> money, money, money. <laughs> Give me the money. That's what the people say. <laughs> okay. I think what's going to happen is the pipeline, the, the company that's building the pipeline, the Dakota Access Pipeline, as it sits right now, has everything in except the crossing of the river. And so what they're waiting for is they're waiting for the, the Trump administration to come into power. They think that they'll reverse the decision by the Corps of Engineers. And that when that reversal happens, uh, that what you're going to see is you're going to see the completion of the code access pipeline. So Trump is the game changer? No, oh, totally the game changer. That'll be interesting to see what happens. With the pipeline, all of that, we'll keep watching that. Mr. Chase, yes, do you want to wrap it up on a real quick high note this week? Sure. Let's let's finish it off. Just something we just don't talk a lot. We talk a lot about recreational cannabis and, and all of that, but I want to talk a moment just about CBD. Cannabis oil made right here uh. in San Diego is now helping the chronically ill in Mexico. The real scientific hemp oil X is being used as a form of medical marijuana. For one 11-year-old girl, it is the answer to keeping her epilepsy under control. Her parents say, within days of taking that oil, they noticed a big improvement in their daughter's condition. Medical Marijuana Inc., which is based in San Diego, makes the hemp oil. Now, uh, I know we've talked a little bit about CBD oil not getting rescheduled and, and whatnot. I had a personal experience I wanted to share today, though. Sure. Uh, I, uh, I have um, carpal tunnel or whatever you call it uh, in, my, in both hands. Really bad. I wonder why. Uh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and and if stress is high, then it gets even worse. And yeah. so, like with holidays and all of that, yeah. it's uh, so. Yesterday, I my my RSI was so bad, I I didn't do a doc for the Linux Unplugged show. I just I couldn't use the keyboard and mouse. Do it. And uh, so today, I was faced with putting the show together, and I had I had no idea what because it's not just for right now. It's not just in my wrist, but it's also in this shoulder. Uh, so uh, I can't I can't pick up a cereal bowl. 
I can't uh, I can't turn the wheel on my vehicle. I can't buckle my seat. Oh, I can't geez. use my keyboard. Like it's really bad right now. It's never been this bad before. In fact, I'm even worried about being able to wrap the gifts for my kids because I can't really use my hands. And so uh, my fiance, lady friend, she's an acupuncturist. That's what she does. Oh yeah, that, yeah. And she's like, well, you ought to come in and see me. You ought to come in. Like, I, I cannot. I'm, I'm going to poke your wrist. Yeah. And I'm like, I cannot come in today. I <laughs> right. got to work on a filter. She's like, well, how are you going to work on the show? Are you going to, how are you going to sit at your desk and work on the show? Right. And so she's like, well, you know, all year long, I have been getting patients walking through my door telling me about CBDs. All year long. Wow. People are coming in and raving about how CBD is helping with their pain. So she ran over to the local uh, J store and got a CBD joint for me. Which is is I guess it's like I thought it CBDs were just oils and so they can right just, so did I but this is a CBD joint with like a really small percentage of THC okay but almost all CBD wow and I was like okay all right and so I was at home I thought I'll do this at home I'll make sure before I'm okay before I go in or anything like that and uh, she's like okay I'll get you this I'll get you this joint I'll drive you to work and you see how you do okay. And I'll tell you what, I was like, I was extremely skeptical because I thought, eh, this is, ex- this is a lot of pain that I'm in. And uh, I had already tried Advil, I tried ibuprofen, I, you know, a couple of days, cause it's been going on for a few days. And I'll tell you what, after uh, 15 minutes of maybe two pulls on the CBD joint, like I'm not telling you, I didn't like, like pull down this whole roach. Like I went, I sucked down a couple of, of and then I, like I put it back in the containers, like that's good. The pain was nearly gone. It wasn't completely gone, but the pain was 85% gone for about three or four hours. I can hours. explain it. Placebo effect. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, actually, it's actually starting to come back. Like right now, I can't move my wrist down. It's starting to come back now, so it's worn off. Right. Um, but for almost, almost four hours today, I was able to work on the show with very, very little pain. And I, had, I have never experienced something uh, like that. Uh, Chris, um, yeah, that's Pfizer calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. They don't no. want you to. I'm not do, supposed to talk about no, your no because okay. they want you to. Uh, Did they be, come to have? Have they signed up as a patron? Because otherwise, like, I don't care. Oh, you don't know. They got to be a patron before they can tell. Club us what 33, to do. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my personal, and it was after after the urging of Hadia. She's like, you know, this. My patients are raving about this, and uh, they've tried the. They've. She said they've tried like uh, the uh, the topical stuff. The food stuff, the smoke stuff, and different ones have different amounts of THC. You know, I, you know, the the more you know, we talk about the uh, the the relationships between drug pharma and the DEA, and how the DEA will not reclassify, and then the, this whole uh, CBD thing that popped up last week about it. It really makes you wonder who who are they really protecting, right? Yeah. Uh, who are they? Uh, they're saying you know. Schedule I didn't. One, remember, I didn't get stoned. As bad I didn't as get, cocaine. I didn't get silly. I got. I got heroin. All my, Chris, you're using heroin. I got all my work done. It Chris, was heroin. It was. I am. I have really blown away by it. I, you know, and I don't. I've maybe I've never really been in a situation where I have a specific kind of pain where I wanted to try it before. Yeah. But this is really debilitating for me. Yeah. And. Uh, just a game changer. So if if you're in an area where you can get your hands on it and you are suffering from some body pain or something like that, I I encourage you to at least experiment with it safely and responsibly. We really need to at some point before the 20th make a make a red book on what's going to be the future of this because yeah. Yeah. the government, you know, Obama you said mean, you're you talking know, post Trump. Yeah, post Trump. I mean, yeah, during the Trump presidency, what's he going to do with all these states that's legalized medically? Who's legalized legal? Uh, you know, just recreationally. I mean, what 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 do you think is going to happen? And it's one of the situations where a lot of people, a lot of people, kids and cancer patients, and uh, like you and your in your wrists, what are they going to do if if uh, you know he wanted to come down and say, you know what, can't have it, not going to happen. I mean, 
I think no the cat's out of the, I think the cat's out of the bag. I think he can't put it back. And Ginny is out of the bottle, as they say. Well, like I, like I told you on on Telegram, that once Canada, once they fully go full legal, U.S. has to follow. I mean, they 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 just can't do it. Yeah. Um, and also just for market opportunities and economic reasons too, which we often talk oh, about. Oh yeah, and but, how Washington was first. <laughs> yeah. But there is a real there is a yeah. real human connection here when it comes to the pain. You know, the show Chase. Yes, Chris. is not even close to over. The overtime <gasps> is mega sized. Overtime. More cyber. Right. Uh, more clips. More information. More news. More stories that just didn't fit at the top of the show, Chase. Yes, Chris. So if you'd like more, stick around. We got it coming. But otherwise. This is our last live show of 2016. We have a clip show coming out next week, and then you and I are back in 2017. 2017, an odd-numbered year. Literally. I'm sure it's going to be super boring. No, I don't think really there's anything. Probably to, not much for I us to do. I think, honestly, we should have our last show around the 15th of yeah, January. just call it good. We'll just call it Nothing there, to really talk about we'll, after we'll, that. We'll end it. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Chase, if there's anywhere you want to send people throughout the week to find more of you online. You know, I, I would love people if you guys drop over and follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash geekgamertv. Hey. I'm doing a lot of game streaming, and one of my goals in the upcoming year is to do a lot more game streaming, interacting with fans and stuff. So please follow me there. Yeah. Chris, yes. obviously you're going to be taking some time off, sure, man. relaxing. You might Quote throw unquote. out a tweet or something. Where can people follow you? At Chris LAS or YouTube.com slash Chris Fisher. That's and my check, name. Yeah, check out that blog, dude. That that video. Do you call a blog or a vlog? I'm, or, go, I'm, just going, I'm going with the vlog. Even though I hate blogs, blogs, and cloud, I'm just going with it. But it was so good. Thank you. Very engaging. Thank you. And uh, I'll have more It's like soon. you know what to do with production. Go hmm. figure that one Also, out. we have that subreddit, unfiltered.reddit.com, where you can go to submit your links, your clips, your quotes, and your feedback for this episode, the jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. If you'd like to get a note to us, and if you want to get your note read on the show, don't forget we have a few more slots open in Club 33 at patreon.com slash unfiltered. Any big plans for the holiday? Lots of driving around, seeing the different fams. Ah. Got a, just got a Christmas tree today for the RV, as a matter of fact. Nice. Yeah. Little, small, small little thing. It's That's a little, awesome. little itty thing. That's great. That'll make Christmas happen, Chase. It's very special. All right, everybody. Well, we hope you have a great holiday. We hope you enjoyed yes. this week's big episode. We hope you catch the clip show and share it with friends and spread the news about Unfilter. And we'll see you back here, I guess, in a... Next year. Yeah. Next ne- year. Hold on. Hold on. We got to no. do it right. Next, Next year. year. Woo! Boom! That's how we go. That's how we roll. Despite what you've heard, the show is not over yet. Episode 218, in some ways, my friends, has just begun. It's the overtime brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. guys really delivered a gift in our stocking after we put a call out last week 20 new patrons <laughs> thank you patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter this is dedicated to you jess marcus Kama. i'm gonna say giles jessels love that name we got Nathan, Serena, Eric, 
Fap Fap. Hmm. I don't think that's your real name. Charles Lewis Kafafra. Brendan. Daniel. Crazy old dude. Jeremy. Jeremy. Two Jeremys. Martin. Tim. Kara. And Richard. New patrons. This week, I will be featuring music from Mr. Ronald Jenke's remastered album, Making It Fun, Volume 1. Some of our favorite Ronald Jenke songs, Retouched. So if you'd like to find that, it's pay for what you'd like on Bandcamp. Just search for Ronald Jenke's Making It Fun, Volume 1. Now, we have a huge overtime for you this week. I I don't even think I've had a cyber section this big for a normal show. And now we're going to make it... One of the biggest in the overtime ever. And I want to start with the real news this week. Washington says were launched to disrupt the American presidential election. I think there is no doubt that when any foreign government tries to impact the integrity of our elections, that... We need to take action, and we will, at a time and place of our own choosing. The threat came in an interview with National Public Radio. However, the president didn't uh, specify when and what kind of action he was going to take. He added that Moscow not only aimed to undermine the election, but also tried to create more problems for Hillary Clinton rather than her rival, Donald Trump. And last week, Obama even ordered a full review into perceived Russian meddling in American elections going back all the way to 2008. And RT's Miguel Francis Santiago looks at how Russia's been turned into now the new number one cyber threat to America. Now, can I just ask before this goes on, do you kind of miss China? It started with sensational headlines, and now it spiraled to this. By the way, before, sorry to keep interrupting, I just thought you should know, this moment in RT right here is uh, being used as a poster child of RT mocking the media, by the media itself. ABC ran a piece featuring this piece. As an example of how RT is mocking them. <laughs> Vladimir Putin was personally involved in the Russian attempt to disrupt the U.S. election. Putin's role was directing the use of the hacked material. So how do you get from a WikiLeak about the DNC to Putin with a smoking gun? Like this. First cite anonymous private security experts and unnamed officials. No need to bother with evidence and facts. The man behind the leaks, who has a 10-year record of high-profile leaks, has publicly denied Russian involvement. Even the director of the FBI can be ignored. So who should we actually listen to? Perhaps the main victim of the leaks. There's no doubt now that Russia has used cyber attacks against all kinds of organizations in our country. Her camp backed this message. Russian state actors broke into the DNC, stole these emails. Now to show convinced Russia's to blame for everything, we can make it official. 
The U.S. intelligence community is confident that the Russian government directed the recent compromises of emails from U.S. persons and institutions. Confident. The recent disclosures of alleged hacked emails are consistent with the methods and motivations of Russian-directed efforts. What efforts exactly? What country's elections has Russia tried to undermine? Again, not a shred of evidence, but they're confident. And then the next step is to give the new boogeyman a face. Enter Putin. But just in case you did want some proper evidence... I do not have uh, an additional intelligence assessment to share from the podium. So are you confirming that the uh, witness believes that Vladimir Putin was personal? Uh, I've seen those reports. I'm not in a position to confirm them. Uh, I'd refer you to the intelligence community for their assessment. So there you go. That's how you prove it was the Russians. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's a little over the top. <laughs> hey, it's our theme song. Look at this. And a little different. Now, you guys know my position about the DNC leaks. And this clip sort of echoes some of those sentiments. U.S. President Barack Obama has held his farewell media conference, during which he spoke a lot about relations with Russia and Vladimir Putin. His remarks were mostly negative this time. But Russia is a topic that Obama seems to keep changing his mind about. Russia is isolated with its economy in tatters. Russia is a major military, the second most powerful military in the world. Russia is a regional power. Russia is an important country. It is a military superpower. They are a smaller country. They are a weaker country. Their economy doesn't produce anything that anybody wants to buy except oil and gas and arms. Oil and gas and arms? <laughs> you mean all the stuff that they want to buy from us? Oil, gas, and arms? Really? That's that's it. Barack Obama was also asked about widespread accusations that the hacking of the Democratic camp during the recent election was guided by the Russian president. He said the intelligence agencies are still gathering information, but he believes, quote, not much happens in Russia without Vladimir Putin. With no proof yet presented to support any of the claims, some professionals have weighed in on the issue. A number of retired U.S. intelligence officials have signed an open letter claiming that the DNC emails were, in fact, leaked by an insider. They say that it could have been anyone from the government or the Democratic Party itself. Yeah, I don't need to necessarily play the rest of this clip, although it is in the sink if you want to hear some of the interviews with those that signed that. Let me ask you about the Russian hacks. Right now there's a big debate about whether or not the Russians were motivated by a desire to tip the election to Donald Trump. Mm. What do you think mm. was the motive for the Russians based on the evidence you've seen? I think this is a serious issue, and I think it requires and calls for the study and the review that the president has directed that all of us who are uh, in the intelligence community are affiliated with it. Can I just stop her right here? So first of all, she jumps right in with a non-answer. That's not what he asked her. And then second of all, she kind of backs up right there. But did you hear her say us in the intelligence community? Doesn't that make you think that maybe she's like a CIA plant? Requires and calls for the study and the review that the president has directed that all of us who are uh, in the intelligence community. You heard it. And then she kind of immediately backpedals. But that's some, that's some, woo. 
all of us who are uh, in the intelligence community or affiliated with it. You know, like you and me, Jake undertake. Um, And so I think it requires that kind of serious review of all the information that we gather before we can come to conclusions um, that can be be discussed um, about motivation and intent. We began that process obviously over the summer. As you know, in October, the intelligence community came out with the assessment and the attribution that Russia was behind the hacks. Yeah, Um, total attribution, 100% attribution. um, And as you know, we rarely do attributions. As you know. Right. Uh, because, but it is an important issue. Unless it's China, Russia, or Iran, then we are attributing like Craig. And it is an issue that people are concerned about and do do need to have information about. Um, our our goal is to provide them with the information um, that that is that's thoroughly investigated, fully vetted, uh, and that we can provide uh, in an open setting. What the hell did that even mean? I have to ask you about this op-ed um, in the Washington Post. He has to by the Clinton campaign manager, John Podesta. He said he's, quote, surprised to read in the New York Times that when the FBI discovered the Russian attack in September 2015, it failed to send even a single agent to warn senior DNC officials. Instead, messages were left with the DNC IT help desk. I like, I like the idea of John Podesta throwing stones. I got an idea. Here's a way you could have alerted the DNC, John. The moment you clicked on that phishing link, you asshole, when you when you're the one that opened the gates, you huge jerk. You are the one that opened the gates. And then you're all like, man, yeah, the FBI totally didn't inform us. And then they left a message with our help desk. What a bunch of um, incompetent fools the FBI is. Messages were left with the DNC IT help desk. Um, Is that accurate? Is that an accurate description of the outreach? Who else would they call? Are they going to call up John and have a nice technical conversation? Hi, John. Yeah, well, we think perhaps maybe there's some malware installed on your network that's sending a beacon back to the Ukraine that's giving them a remote login via reverse proxy. Do you have any ideas about that, John? You think John's going to have a lot of input? Description of the outreach that the FBI did to the DNC, and if so, is that sufficient? So, as we've talked about um, earlier this year, the investigation into the hacks of the DNC and the DCCC is an ongoing investigation. It's an active investigation. So I'm not able to comment oh, on the specifics of how people were That's reached or contacted. Shit. But I can say that the FBI has worked closely. Personal challenge, before I let her finish, uh, I'll back it up so that way we can hear it. Personal challenge to the chat room. Anyone can find me the law that says she's not allowed to comment on an ongoing investigation? Because she does it all the time. She does it all the time when it serves them politically. So go ahead. Find me the law that says the president or the attorney general cannot comment on active investigations. I can't find one. The investigation into the hacks of the DNC and the DCCC is an ongoing investigation. It's an active investigation. So I'm not able to comment on the specifics of how people were reached, were contacted. But I can say that the FBI has worked closely with those organizations, both to discuss what we've learned about the hacks, to gather information information about them so that we can continue this investigation and if you'd like to know more just join me on my plane <laughs> that was a good one chat room man that loretta lynch man that loretta lynch so one of the things i find most interesting about this attribution to russia is one of their big pieces of evidence and i'm about to play this but i'm just going to give you a little hint is that they have an ip address that links back to further russian hacking attempts what that actually means is that they have an IP address of a user that logged into an, a hacking form from the Ukraine. And they, they think they saw that same IP address of a user account that logged into a form 
from the Ukraine connecting to the DNC servers. So that's one of their IP attributions. It's in the reports. I've read all of them and where I'm about to play a clip that tells you that same thing. However, what people seem to forget is we toppled the Ukrainian government. They're no longer a pro-Russia government. They're no longer pro-Russia over there. They're at war with Russia. They're essentially in conflict with Russia. It's not being in the Ukraine no longer means you're pro-Russia. And if this report, anything, this report that I'm about to play just sort of underscores that. Uh, Christy, I've been traveling across former Soviet republics in uh, Eastern Europe and talking to senior officials, former senior officials, who have all been saying, basically, I told you so, that they have warned the U.S. government in the past that they themselves have been the target of Russian cyber attacks, of other forms of Russian hybrid warfare. These are senior officials in the new Ukrainian government. Uh, And that whatever the U.S. is seeing uh, in connection with the most recent U.S. presidential election is an echo of of previous attacks that they've seen in the past in their countries. Uh, One of the officials I've spoken to is the former president of the Republic of Georgia, Mikhail Saakashvili, who famously went to war against Russia and lost. Here's an excerpt of what he had to tell me. Before they pull, you know, we don't need to hear it, but so you get the point. The Ukraine, the new Ukrainian government's come in and say, yeah, Russia's been coming after us too. We've warned you. I actually would buy that. I would imagine Russia is very interested in what this new Ukrainian government thinks about all kinds of things. So I would, yeah, I would bet, yeah, I bet Russia's knocking on that door all the time. You know, it's not like they're uh, bugging Merkel's cell phone. They're not bugging Merkel's cell phone, right? It's not like Russia's doing that. So let's talk about the uh, let's talk about some of the evidence here. Uh, first, I want to play a clip that supposedly tells us all about the digital fingerprints of Russia that's all over these hacks. Russia tonight, meanwhile, reports they are laughing this off at the Kremlin, saying, "Show us the proof." And so, ABC's chief investigative correspondent Brian Ross with the evidence so far. In Moscow tonight, a challenge to put up or shut up, with deputies for Russian President Vladimir Putin and Russian television demanding the U.S. produce any evidence it has implicating Russia in the hacking attack. Any evidence should be released. To date, there has been none. Evidence that President-elect Donald Trump continues to maintain is far from certain. Just like they did before the election, whenever there's something to discuss that they're uncomfortable talking about the evidence, instead of saying this is what people think that are on the other, the people that are doubting the evidence, this is what they think. And maybe going to a cybersecurity specialist or anybody in the press that's writing about this, you know, with any kind of information and cognition, or perhaps Glenn Greenwald at The Intercept, who just wrote up a great piece about the evidence, they could interview them. They have 100% the resources, the means, and the connections to interview those people. I'm about to play you a Greenwald clip. But instead, what they do, because they're lazy and because they want to set the narrative, just like they did before the election, they can't get over the election, guys. Just like they did before the election, they make it about Trump. They make it about Trump, so that way it's the crazy detached stuff. There has been none. Evidence that President-elect Donald Trump continues to maintain is far from certain. See, but when they do this, what they're really doing is undermining people's faith in their own coverage still. Because Trump's right. It's very suspicious. There is arguments within the intelligence agencies about the attribution. There is no hard evidence that it is the Russians. The only piece of evidence that we seem to have is the CIA claiming to have a source that they can't divulge. Perhaps that's someone next to Putin. If we had that level of um, information, that would seem like a pretty legit sourcing. 
But there's no indication of that. And if there if that's if that were true, why would they be telling us this much? If they've inferred it this far, if they've inferred this much, it's not like the Kremlin is so stupid they couldn't figure it out from here. So if there is a secret plant next to Putin, all of the divulging that's happened has already revealed to them that this person exists. So it's not to protect their identity. They better have extracted that asshole or he's dead. So when they do this, they're undermining themselves because the American people on this particular issue, 75% of them, according to the poll that I have linked in the show notes, they don't believe it's the Russians. 75% of Americans don't believe it's the Russians. I don't know how, because when I look at Reddit, I swear to God, all of them do. But somehow, according to this poll, 75% of Americans do not believe it's the Russians. So when they're sitting here slamming Trump about not believing the Russians, well, the American people go, well, yeah, he's right. So once again, they're undermining themselves. Far from certain. They're fighting among themselves. They're not sure. But in fact, America's intelligence agencies are sure. Based largely on the forensic evidence, the FBI and cybersecurity experts discovered inside the computers of the Democratic National Committee. Now, here's what they, they just said that the CIA bases that mostly on the evidence by the contractors. That's what this man just said, Brian Ross. They're fighting among themselves. They're not sure. But in fact, America's intelligence agencies are sure. Okay, so the agencies are sure based on... Based largely on the forensic evidence the FBI and cybersecurity experts discovered inside the computers. So based on the forensics inside the computers that the contractors hired by the DNC based on the evidence they've found and the evidence the FBI found, who's so freaking incompetent they can't get in an iPhone 5. Of the Democratic National Committee. They get in by what's called a spearfish attack. Among the experts on the case, cybersecurity analyst Justin Harvey, who says the Russians first planted what's called a dropper or beacon to send material back to Moscow. No, you said the Russians. He never said the Russians. Brian Ross said the Russians. So once the, and they're, of course, they're abbreviating. What happened was Podesta clicked on a phishing attempt. He, he changed his password. He gave them his Google account. I don't know how they got on the machine from there. But the fi- either way, it doesn't matter if it was Podesta or if it was you know, Hillary Clinton herself or some secretary. If they click on a phishing link email. It gives the attacker access to the local network, generally at the privilege, privilege level of that user, unless they can escalate it from there. So they're definitely giving you the abridged version here because that's the first part that happened. Then they were able to install a persistent piece of software that could do a reverse connection back. Now, they they just kind of roughly show this red line going across the Middle East and going going over right right across the ocean. I, I don't really know where they're claiming this is connecting to. They don't actually get very specific in that regard. Back to Moscow. Oh, oh they do. Never mind. I'm sorry. I don't remember them saying Moscow when I listened to this in the past. To send material back to Moscow. A dropper is a little tiny bit of software that calls back home and says, I'm here. I was successful. And it had a telltale Russian signature. Okay, so here we go. Now, that part, that the, the Moscow thing, I don't know actually where Brian Ross gets that because that is not in the report. But here is the telltale sign. And this is where this is extremely dangerous. If you're a Linux user, if you're an open source user, this is dangerous. With experts saying it was written in Moscow's time zone and seemed to have gaps on what were Russian holidays. Now, my first issue with that is the obvious one. If I'm trying to design something to look like it's from the Russians, these are things I'm going to do. This is like the I have four things I check and time zone and Russian holidays are the first two things I check off on my checklist of impersonating a Russian. That's an obvious one. Okay. But let's let's just put that aside because that's just speculation. 
the core problem I have with at, with doing attribution to Russia based on where the software was developed is there is a lot of good open source software that comes out of Russia. And a lot of the tools that are used in these cyber attacks, a lot of the tools, in fact, the majority of these tools, are based on open source software. <clears throat> and see, the problem is, well, let's say that Metasploit is developed in Russia. Now, Metasploit is a common tool and a, and a great framework for taking advantage of known exploits and testing your system to see if they're vulnerable. It is a tool that I've used in the past. Metasploit's one of the best open source vulnerability assessment tools in the business. And it's something that if you get something like Kali Linux or any of these Linux distributions that are designed to do cyber uh, testing, intrusion prevention, intrusion detection, uh, anything in that kind of category where you want to bang on your own box to see what it's vulnerable to, because that's the only way to really make sure you're safe. It, the danger here becomes if I use one of these tools and they're developed wherever they might be in the world, I'm not even aware of it when I'm using the tool. That's another total separate issue. Now, all of a sudden, the attack's being attributed to the country that developed that open source piece of software. That's dangerous. That is lazy because the software could be created anywhere in the world. And then a lot of the software, especially the good shit, is sold on the black market. And it doesn't matter where it was created. You could buy it right here in Washington state and it could be created in Putin's basement. It really doesn't matter. And so this is extremely troubling to me as somebody who's an open source advocate. And seem to have gaps on what were Russian holidays, all entered by a distinctive keyboard. We saw uh, the Cyrillic alphabet being used. And then, U.S. intelligence says, the beacon transmitted the hacked emails to an Internet address overseas. Oh! And it was an IP address that had been previously seen in other Russian-attributed attacks. Now, that is the one I was talking about that is the Ukrainian IP address tied back to a forum user. That's what he's specifically talking about. They're using very vague language here. Other Russian-attributed attacks. But it wasn't just forensics. The FBI has joined the CIA in the assessment that the Russian president was directly involved in the hack attack based on new, highly classified information that authorities say comes from directly inside the Kremlin. See, that implies that they have a man on the inside, but even that level of implication would mean that person winds up dead. I just don't believe it. I don't believe that they would... Would they truly... Well, maybe they would. I mean, ask Chris Stevens. Maybe they would. Maybe they would. But if that's true, then this, these are government officials that are leaking information that is exposing an operative in the field. That's worse than what Snowden did. That's way worse than what Snowden did. Say comes from directly inside the Kremlin. That is, that makes, that is an implication, I'm going to play it again, because that's an implication that makes it sound like the CIA has a man on the inside, and that would be extremely dangerous to put out there. Has joined the CIA in the assessment that the Russian president was directly involved in the hack attack, based on new, highly classified information that authorities say comes from directly inside the Kremlin. The evidence so far, let's get right to Brian tonight because the FBI now on board with the CIA saying it's the Russians directed by Putin. And Now, this is an important piece that they want to stress. They've just mentioned it twice in the last 25 seconds. And the reason for that is because they think you're a dumb shit. And so they repeat stuff. And the thing that they really want you to hear is that the FBI is now on board with the CIA. It's super important to them that you understand that attack based on seen and other Russian attributed attacks. But it wasn't just forensics. The FBI has joined the CIA in the assessment. Boom. 
so there it is. ...that the Russian president was directly involved in the hack attack, based on new, highly classified information that authorities say comes from directly inside the Kremlin. So there's an implication that it's super important, good sourced information we just can't tell you, but trust us. And now they just said the FBI, CIA thing, and then they're going to come back and they're going to say it again because they want to make sure you understand. The evidence so far, let's get right to Brian tonight because the FBI now on board with the CIA saying it's the Russians directed by Putin and largely to help Donald Trump. So so the reason that's super important is they have been beating Comey, beating him because they were not comfortable making an attribution. But he's in such a shitstorm right now over the whole Hillary Clinton claiming that he's part of the reason he lost the election. And now the FBI documents are unsealed and there's just no justification. He's under so much pressure. It doesn't seem unlikely to me that this is something he was willing to cave on. That doesn't seem too unlikely. Now, here is Glenn. A week and a half ago, the Washington Post changed the debate over the 2016 election with an article that quoted anonymous sources who recently received a CIA briefing given to Congress. So a leak. That would be a leak. That would be an anonymous source in the CIA, which is unbelievable. Uh, That would be a leak. And it's it's incredible, too, now, where the the media just takes the word of the CIA and runs with it. The Washington Post, ABC, NBC, they all are – they've all had their own leaks from the CIA now. They all are sourcing from anonymous officials now. It started with just the Washington Post, and then NBC got in the game. And what what strikes me about it is the thing about the CIA – here's kind of the thing, and maybe, maybe they're new, so maybe they don't understand this. The CIA are liars. That's what they do. They're under control of the executive branch, and they do the dirty shit for the politicians, and they lie. See, they're spies. They're liars. They lied about the war in Iraq. They lied about the weapons of mass destruction under political pressure by Cheney's office, just like they're under political pressure by Obama's office right now. It's the same exact situation. And for whatever reason, we don't question the spies when they talk to us. We don't think for a second that perhaps they're lying. Perhaps this is an organization that does the dirty work by lying. Everything they do is for plausible deniability. That's why they exist. So why do we take what they tell the media on face value anyways? Even if the CIA, even if it was right from somebody truly, truly sourceable. Brennan sat down with the NBC News people, or Brennan is the one that called up the Washington Post and gave them a briefing directly, directly from the top. It doesn't matter. They're liars. They have a history of lying. And you're the media. You're supposed to report on these things. So you should be couching it as such. The spy agency, the CIA, is telling us that but instead, it's gospel. It's truth. It's 100% fact. It's so, it's so unquestionable. Just like the weapons in Iraq were unquestionable. Well, a week and a half ago, the Washington Post changed the debate over the 2016 election with an article that quoted anonymous sources who recently received a CIA briefing given to Congress. According to those sources, the CIA concluded that the Russian government intervened in our presidential election to help Donald Trump win. Journalist Glenn Greenwald is the founder of The Intercept. He spent years covering the intersection of politics and intelligence, and he joins us now from Rio de Janeiro to assess that coverage. Glenn, it's, it's good to see you tonight. Um, so here's, here's the story. I know you read it. It really had an instantaneous effect on the way people are covering the post-election uh, sort out. 
It said, quote, the CIA has concluded in a secret assessment that Russia intervened in the 2016 election to help Donald Trump win the presidency. That sentence right there changed everything here in Washington. Should we believe that assessment? We should be extremely skeptical of it for multiple reasons. To begin with, this is a secondhand report, so you have somebody whose identity is being shielded describing what the CIA supposedly concluded, laundering that through the Washington Post. These are assertions that are being made completely Did he say laundering? somebody whose identity is being shielded describing what the CIA supposedly concluded, laundering that through Oh, laundering that. That is a brilliant turn of phrase because it actually is a very good description of what's happening. Glenn, damn, dude, I'm going to try it. Can I, can I, Glenn, can I use that? Laundering that through the Washington Post. These are assertions that are being made completely unaccompanied by any evidence whatsoever, let alone evidence that we can touch and, and rationally review. Um, there's all kinds of reasons to suspect the CIA statements, including the fact that they're wrong all the time. Um, they're programmed <laughs> in a lot of cases to disseminate disinformation. Yes. And there's lots yeah. of reasons to view them as political actors. Um, yes. And so I think we ought to be highly skeptical but what's interesting i agree with that assessment completely i mean they're sometimes right they're sometimes wrong but did you hear what he just said i agree with that assessment completely you see this i don't know what tucker's doing but he's rebranding i know that sounds stupid but i think tucker carlson might be smarter than we realize and he might see the way the wind is blowing he also just recently went on alex jones tucker carlson went on alex jones uh, and he did a pretty good job of dancing around some of the more extreme things without, while still sounding very informed about every single topic that Alex brought up. Yes, I watched it for you, uh, and I didn't find anything worth clipping. But it is, it is part of an overall thesis that I am working on that Tucker Carlson is rebranding. We played some clips last week, too. And uh, maybe it's he, maybe it's because, like some say, he removed the bow tie. I think his hair looks better too. I think he just sees which way the wind is blowing. I think he understands more of, about the populist movement than most people do in the media. And uh, I, 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 when he said, "I completely agree," when he responded to Glenn Greenwald, who is typically getting constantly beat up by the mainstream media, Glenn Greenwald is typically made to, or they attempt to make him look like a fool, and he says, "I agree." I was, I was surprised. This is on Fox News. Actors, um, and so I think we ought to be highly skeptical. But what's interesting, I agree with that assessment completely. I mean, they're sometimes right, they're sometimes wrong, but they're certainly skilled in deception. That's what they do. And yet, politically here in Washington, the response has been, "Well, if you don't believe," this account of an account of analysis by the CIA, you're somehow acting on behalf of the Kremlin or you're not patriotic or you're insulting the memory of the CIA officers who've died in the line of duty. Have you seen that kind of response before? I saw it from um, a Democratic congressman, Adam Schiff, actually, when, when you interviewed him last week and all you were doing was asking him for evidence and he, he told you you should go to put your show on RT. Um, and in my journalism, this is the response I've been getting for many months now as, as not even... Um, not even when you deny that it happened. I mean, nobody should deny that Russia might have done this. Of course Russia might have done this. Um, this is the right. kind of thing that all states do, and, yeah. and certainly Russia. But yeah. all you do is ask for evidence yeah. before believing it, before embracing it is true. And that alone sub sub subjects you to accusations that you might be disloyal, that you're somehow a, a tool of the Kremlin. Um, it's a really toxic environment that I think Democrats have created, a little bit out of desperation and out of political um, maneuvering as well. But but it is quite dangerous. Well, it is so weird that Russia is the focus. I, I mean, speaking for myself, I'm agnostic on Russia. I don't oh, speak I know Russia. Why. I've never been to the country. I don't have strong feelings about it one way or the other. I'm willing to believe anything, basically. I'm open-minded. 
And yet all of a sudden, Russia seems to be villain number one. What? Oh, it's so obvious, Tucker. Why is that? It seems strange. You know, one... One of the really interesting things is in 2012, um, when Mitt Romney ran against Barack Obama, the Democrats mocked uh, Romney mercilessly for depicting Russia as the number one geopolitical threat. And they p released a video saying uh, Mitt Romney's stuck in the Cold War. He doesn't understand the yeah. 21st century. <laughs> Obama in the debate said the 1980s want their foreign policy back to think that Russia is this grave threat. Um, it, and, and throughout the Obama presidency, he tried accommodating Putin. He, he didn't arm anti-Russian yeah. factions in Ukraine. He tried to cooperate with him in, in Syria. It was really an election year political um, theme that the Democrats manufactured out of whole cloth that the Russians, that Putin pose some sort of existential threat to the United States, that they're our enemy, our entrenched enemy, and we all have the patriotic duty to resist it. And, and it's not working. Um, the Americans don't wake up and worry about Vladimir Putin, but Democrats seem to be digging in further into this losing political attempt. Yeah. Well, see, what, I guess what bothers me about it is that unlike the attack on the Trotskyites, who are sort of a powerless group exiled to Mexico City, Russia's a real country yeah. with nuclear weapons. Yep. And are there consequences of what we've seen in the last six months where our foreign policy seems to have shifted to a pretty hostile posture toward Russia. That seems reckless to me if, in fact, there's only a political motivation behind it. Syria, Tucker. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the Democrats were very alarmed by Trump's accepting this phone call from the president of Taiwan based on the not invalid argument that China yep. is a nuclear armed power and, and a formidable threat and we should be careful about producing unnecessary right. confrontation, which I agree with. But the same is true of Russia. To sit here and, and sort of suggest that Vladimir Putin lurks behind every American problem to concoct these wild, <laughs> elaborate conspiracy theories to try and convince Americans that um, Russia is this grave threat to the United States that we all have to stand up. I think it's incredibly dangerous. Um, not just because it creates a toxic environment domestically, but because it's very dangerous. It can put us on a path of almost unintentional uh, confrontation with a, a country that can do a lot of damage. That's the way it seems to me. I don't think you and I have ever voted for the same person. So it's nice to hear you say that because it makes me feel less crazy. I thought it was missing <laughs> something. Glenn Greenwald, thanks all for joining us. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Okay. That was a great clip. See, I, I tell you what, he's rebranding. I don't know what's going on. I uh, I want to play one more clip. I want to just try to fit this one into the main show. Let me uh, let me just take a second here and let's bring it down for a moment. I hate to do this to you guys, but I really, really, after talking about all this Russia stuff, I really think it's important that we remind ourselves really what we're talking about here. On July 8th, in Washington, D.C., a 27-year-old by the name of Seth Rich yeah. was shot in the back and murdered. Mm -hmm, right. He was a DNC staffer. Right. Uh, it, uh, at first, it looked like a robbery. Except uh, they, they didn't take his wallet or his watch. They, they took mm -hmm. nothing. nothing. They, they took nothing from Seth Rich, the 27-year-old who died there. Tuesday, yesterday, WikiLeaks, of all things, offers a $20,000 reward for any information leading to the capture of the person mm. who murdered Seth Rich, the DNC staffer. Now, That's why, is, why is this so fascinating? WikiLeaks, putting up the reward, $20,000, to find out who killed the kid who worked at DNC, says, we treat threats toward any suspected WikiLeaks sources with extreme gravity. Yeah. So was this kid the WikiLeaks 
source. Julian Assange went on Dutch TV wow. yesterday and he said, this is, I'm quoting Julian Assange, whistleblowers go to significant efforts to get us material and often very significant risks. As a 27-year-old works for the DNC, was shot in the back, murdered just a few weeks ago for unknown reasons as he was walking down the street in Washington. Reporter asked Assange, that was just a robbery, I believe, wasn't it? Assange answers, no. There's no finding. So I'm suggesting that our sources take risks. So, I mean, I don't believe in the conspiracy theories. I think that the 99.9% of them are bunk. But the kids killed, shot in the back, apparent robbery, nothing taken. Was he the WikiLeaks source? Not him, not the Russians. I mean, I... I I just want to play that. I know it's an old clip. Yeah, chat room called me out. It's an old clip. But we talk a lot of shit about the Russians, if it's the Russians, what the attribution is. And that happened. Seth Rich was young. And he he just was a Bernie supporter who'd found out he was he managed he had admin access to their network. And he managed their data. And he did analytics, he did all kinds of stuff. And he he believed Bernie Sanders got shafted. And he wanted the world to know. And he got shot for it. He got shot a few times for it. History should reflect that. Not, not that Putin personally directed the DNC hack. Here's the fact. The, D, the emails that were compromised were in March. Trump wasn't even the... He wasn't even the candidate then. I mean, it was looking like it. The primary wasn't even over when when this ha- when when the when the emails when the phishing attempt and all of that were when they were originally accessed, it wasn't even the general election. If you just look at the timeline, it doesn't make any sense. Right. So you're telling me that Putin is so smart that he saw the way the primary was going, and he he presumed ahead of time. And remember, he had to assemble his cyber army. So I mean, this is quite a bit ahead of time. He presumed that Trump would win because he's so clever and he had his team preemptively hack on Trump's behalf before he's even won the nomination. I just can't buy that. I cannot I I cannot be intellectually honest with myself and buy that story. And meanwhile, Seth Rich was murdered. Well, former President Bill Clinton was an elector, and he cast his vote today for his wife, Hillary Clinton. She, of course, did not win. But that has not stopped him from pointing the finger and blaming just about everybody other than Hillary herself. Here now is David Goodfriend, an attorney and Democratic strategist who worked for Bill Clinton in the White House. David, it's great to see you. Thanks again for having me on, Tucker. Well, it's my pleasure. So, so the former president said yesterday in an interview with a Westchester, New York newspaper, that yeah. the reason his wife lost, brace yourself, angry white men. Angry white men, we've all heard this. Racist. Trump played to the racist, got the racists to come out. In in record numbers, racists vote for Trump. So two questions. One, isn't he an angry white man? <laughs> and two, if some Republican got up and said, you know, Obama got elected because angry black women voted for him, people would say well, that correctly. They would say that's racist. You can't say that. Why do people get away with this angry white men stuff? I well, never have understood um, that. Now, forgive me, I'm still loyal to my former boss. Yes. I'm trying to be a good guy here. Yeah. 
Um, I went back and looked at the numbers when you invited me to come on the show to, to, to talk about this. Right. What I found was that uh, Donald Trump and Mitt Romney got almost exactly the same number of white male votes, the same right. proportion that is. Um, Hillary Clinton got a lower proportion than by about seven points than Barack Obama did. So I would, I mean, I love my former boss, President Clinton, but I think that in this case, it was equally a story about a lack of turnout among some of our core constituencies and some of the really important swing states. I don't think, what? in other words, that it presents a complete pic picture, what he said. Now, that having been said, he then glossed over something that I think is much more relevant, and you've been focusing on it on your show. He said, yeah, and then there was the FBI and the Russians. Well, hold on a second. We've got John McCain, chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, saying, hey, we need to focus on the fact that a foreign country tried to interfere with our election. Okay, but that on. ought to be something I mean, we let's can talk, talk about. Can we be I mean, how real do you want to be? So the, apparently <laughs> our intel community, to the extent we can... Right. Suss out what they actually and my, and the I like that this guy, so this guy was a former Clinton ally. He probably wants, he's hoping for future business. So he's, of course, helping them out with the Russian line. You got to appreciate that. I think the information he just gave us there, though, the, Trump got Romney levels. Trump got Romney levels. If Hillary had evangelized her base, if they had really gotten out there for her, she would have blown Trump away. The problem was nobody wanted Hillary. Greenwald's segment was interesting on that. Point. It is, and Greenwald's no conservative, Absolutely just for the record. Not. No, that's right. But it is believed that the Russians started their hacking of the respective committees right. before Donald Trump announced for president. Right. Okay, so let's, I mean, there is constant hacking of American Absolutely. institutions in the private and public sectors. This is just ridiculous. Well, but, 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 but before he announced, I, I had, I got to look into that. Here, we, we can just reduce the numbers. I think are really interesting. I, I think we ought to at least have hearings about it. I think no, that's, not that, a bad that's idea. fine. But let's stop <laughs> with this McCarthy yes, the, the, the hearings would actually <laughs> tamp down. I think, Maybe. The I mean, I don't know. No, they Since would Obama's not. Since Obama's election Jeez. in 2008, the Democratic Party has lost 11 Senate seats, 63 House seats, a dozen governorships, and more than 800 state legislative seats. So there is a problem here that goes beyond the Russians, the Electoral College, angry white men. This is what the Democrats don't want you talking about. That's why it's the Russians. Because the, pro the real issue is they've completely lost connection to the middle class. They've got the elites pretty much in the bay, which is funny because when I grew up, the Democrats were the party of the middle class and the Republicans were the party of the elites. But now the Democrats are the warmongers and the Republicans are the ones that are attempting to placate the middle class to some degree. At least Trump is a populist. And it's it's also the media's attempt to, to have that same sort of distance from, well, it's not that the people don't watch us. It's not that we don't control the narrative anymore. Keep paying us your big, 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 big sponsor, sponsor dollars during the election. I mean, look, the, the, every major media outlet made such huge revenues in 2016 because of election spending. But if it, if it ends up exposed that the media doesn't reach the people, that if they can shit on Trump during the entire general election and he still wins, it's, it's obvious they don't have any control of the narrative. But they don't want that to be the message. It has to be fake news. It has to be the Russians. Because if it's not those things, the Democrats are irrelevant and the media is irrelevant. And then that means these power structures that they depend on begin to crumble. And we can't have that. So it's the Russians. It's the Russians, okay? So could you please shut up? It's the Russians. Let's move on. Let, and we're going to, Tucker, we, Tucker, 
We have to move on. It's, it's the Russians, and they hate Hillary. Okay? They personally do not like Hillary. In other news, Hillary Clinton has joined the chorus of voices in the American establishment and media accusing Vladimir Putin of personally orchestrating the hack attacks that allegedly helped to decide the outcome of the U.S. presidential election. Moreover, she said that Putin went after her because he had an axe to grind. If anything, I just look into the deal that Hillary Clinton helped facilitate for uranium access. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on it. If anything, Putin probably sends her a basket of chocolates every year for Easter, saying, thank you for getting me all of that uranium, om nom nom. You made Russia a world player again, personally. Thank you, Hillary. Hillary Clinton is the is the biggest help Russia has gotten on the international stage since the Soviet Union collapsed. We, we have to recognize that, as the latest reports made clear, Vladimir Putin himself directed the covert cyber attacks against our electoral system. Now, this is Hillary on her. This is why I lost to her. This is how she's trying to stay politically relevant and tell all of her donors that gave her all of those millions of dollars where their money went. Against our democracy, apparently because he has a personal beef against me. Oh, now, Clinton explained that Putin apparently couldn't forgive her for criticizing the Russian 2011 <laughs> parliamentary elections, which she did as then U.S. Secretary of State. Ron Paul, who is the chairman and founder of the Ron Paul Institute, Ron joins Paul, me now huh? to discuss her remarks, as well as uh, our other top stories from the day. And uh, however I introduce you, Dr. Paul, it really doesn't do your illustrious career justice, but we'll, we'll suffice with that. And also add that, of course, you were a former presidential candidate. Let's just get that in there. If I may, let's start talking about the Russian hacks, alleged Russian hacks, and Hillary Clinton's response and the Democrats in general. Uh, in essence, you've got Clinton, Obama, and a few others blaming a foreign power for their party losing in a democratic election. Do you buy that? No, not really. I think they're just uh, agitating because they lost the election and they're throwing out accusations and they have no proof. Even our own CIA that's implying that this hacking was done. They, they're you get where he sits. Uh, by the way, those of you watching the video version, do you notice how uh, Ron is a little out of focus and his background's in perfect focus? If you ever watch TechSnap or Linux Action Show and go, why is Chris's background blurred? That's why. That right there. That's what happens. See, the problem is when you're doing green screen, of course, the background could be in perfect focus because it's being added by the computer. Well, maybe you don't have your camera focused at all too perfect and it stands out. Anyways, little side note. So you can see where Ron sits on this. He's not buying it either. And I thought that was maybe noteworthy for those of you who are fans. Now, the CIA has all kinds of assessments. You remember the weapons of mass distraction? I mean, destruction. Well, there's now a sort of new attempt at setting the narrative many years later about that entire situation by one CIA operative who hopes to write a story that you'll read. So there's a new book coming out this month that reveals startling details about Saddam Hussein. John Nixon, a former CIA analyst, interviewed the former Iraqi dictator after he was captured in 2003. He says he found Hussein to be, quote, clueless, even thinking 9-11 would bring Iraq and America closer together. Saddam thought that 
Yeah, okay, I can see it, actually. I can see it because maybe after such a humbling experience, America would want to reach out to those in the Middle East who understand the people in their anger and want to fix what had caused this horrific incident. Well, I, I don't actually think that seems that crazy. ...would bring Iraq and America closer together. Nixon also acknowledges that Hussein was a ruthless dictator, but says he should have continued to rule Iraq. Caroline Shively is live in Washington. So, Caroline, some pretty interesting revelations in this book. Sure they are. Uh, I think what it really is about is perhaps setting the CIA's narrative about their positioning as the Trump administration comes in. Why does Chris say this? Great question. Well, I have read many books written by former CIA employees, and there is a very specific process that these books go through. And they do not ever see the day of light if they do not go through the CIA. Specifically, the CIA has a division for this function. So anything that comes out from a former CIA operative, employee, contractor, etc., is vetted deeply by the CIA, deeply personally by the CIA. The families of three of the Orlando nightclub victims are now suing Facebook, Twitter, and Google, accusing those high-tech giants of helping to radicalize the shooter, Omar Mateen, and others like him. That lawsuit slamming those web platforms for failing to shut down terror-related accounts, saying that they're crucial to ISIS funding and also recruitment. Mateen killed 49 people in Orlando when he opened fire inside that packed nightclub. I find that to be interesting, going after the tech companies. I guess that is the next conclusion if we're to believe that uh, they are lone wolves that are self-radicalized via YouTube. Now, we really are upset about Donald Trump here in the United States. I mean, people are freaking out. Like, if you want to watch, if you want to see somebody, if you're curious what I'm talking about, say you're outside the States, because uh, about 30% of you are, and you just want to get a flavor of what I'm talking about, look up Keith Olbermann on YouTube or uh, Rachel Meadow. They are losing their brains over Donald Trump right now. <laughs> so I want to help. I want to just help set a little perspective for everybody. Just help everybody understand how bad it can get. It, you know, if we look to many other countries, this would be banner headlines. But actually, if you look back in it. Banner headlines, she says. It would be banner headlines. What? The fact that the Philippines president has admitted that he has murdered three people as in judge and executioner right on the street style. Duterte has already admitted in the past to, to similar things. Uh, and he has this pattern where he'll admit to something that's quite shocking, and then he'll dial back and say, oh, but actually I want my police to follow the law. So he told the media that when he was a mayor, that he used to drive around and kill men on the street to show his police force how it should be done. Oh, actually. Actually, I don't. So so he has this habit of saying something that that really raises eyebrows, you know, really gets critics very angry. And then one of his spokespeople or even Duterte himself will kind of say, oh, actually, I didn't mean it. You know, I didn't mean it. So he has said these things before. He's admitted. Kind of sounds like Trump, doesn't it? <laughs> to killing people went while mayor before. But this is the first time he's ever said it while he's been the president. And that's why it's, it's quite shocking news today. Celia, how big is the drugs problem in the Philippines and Manila particularly? Well, the. Methamphetamine is the big drug in the Philippines. Um, but if you look at the numbers released by the United Nations, uh, it, it, there's a worse drug problem in the Philippines than in the United States. But it's, methamphetamine use is lower than it is in Australia. So Duterte hmm. really came to power promising.
convincing people that he that Philippines had a massive drug problem that was threatening the future of the country. Uh, critics say that actually the bigger problems are things like poverty and corruption. It's not drugs, but he's managed to really focus the country on this. There's a bit of an irony, though. Of course, uh, he's a drug user himself, and I like I like how we all pretend that there's a difference between drugs that can grow out of the ground and drugs that pharmaceutical companies can put together and super concentrate and there's a moral difference between the ones the doctor gives you and the ones that grow out of the ground. And he did promise that he was going to wipe out drug dealers. Many people say, look, he's doing what he promised to do. So people continue to support him? Absolutely. His popularity is very, very high. And that's because he's managed to make the drug problem really the focus of the country. And people just don't trust that the courts are going to be able to deal with this. So drug dealers are either told to surrender or stay inside. I mean, you've got rights groups coming out and saying we've got police and hired assassins essentially operating with impunity Absolutely. in the country. That's the situation there Absolutely. every night. Yeah, we have about 3,000 extrajudicial killings that aren't explained that have happened on the streets. And the police themselves have killed more than 2,000 uh, suspected drug dealers since Duterte came to power. And this doesn't seem to be slowing down. In fact, he's he's encouraging, actively encouraging uh, the police to ramp up this uh, kind of killing. And while we are talking about drug use, yes. Mr. Duterte himself has also admitted that he takes quite heavy-duty painkillers. Exactly. What's this for? So he has a spine problem and he also gets migraines. So he's also admitted that he uh, takes a patch. It's a it's a painkiller that's more powerful than morphine. And he admitted that he took the whole of a patch. He was prescribed just a quarter of it, but he would slap on an entire patch onto his arm just to kill the pain. But he has said that he has since dialed back on his drug use on the advice of his wife. <laughs> the wife! Not the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, just a couple more clips to round us out, and then we're all done, guys. Boy, uh, this is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's do this one. Uh, you know, the media is all about uh, Putin and Trump being bromies, but they don't tend to cover when when uh, Putin criticizes Trump, which has actually happened fairly recently. I didn't really know this, but I was going through the different clips that producer Matt found, and uh, <laughs> this is one that caught my attention. And good morning. Vladimir Putin says he is ready to meet America's president-elect at any moment, although he's a little confused by uh, Mr. Trump's slogan, Make America Great Again. Putin told Japanese television he objects to American exceptionalism. Oh. The United States, he says, <laughs> is a great nation. Nobody is arguing about uh-huh. that. But I think it's completely excessive and creates certain issues in interactions. Also... Oh, I thought that was, oops, there we go. I thought that was pretty good. So Putin, not super thrilled with Trump's uh, Trump's uh, line. Uh, did you know that your good buddy, uh, Bill, over at Fox News, yeah, Mr. <laughs> himself, did you know that <laughs> Bill has a podcast? <laughs> Four years of that, Heather. In a brand new interview, Kellyanne Conway suggesting the women who came forward accusing Bill Clinton of abuse and worse in years past uh, and then showed up at the presidential debates, Conway argues they had a significant impact on Hillary Clinton's performance in those debates. She made those comments to me yesterday during a podcast at Trump Tower. 
Yeah, Trump Tower, too. Hillary Clinton defended that rapist and got him a plea deal and then laughed about the polygraph test and the evidence. To, to uh, this later. day, you believe that had an effect I know on it her did. performance. I know it did. Because um, they were, listen, this is somebody who's very scripted. And when you're scripted and you're running against the most unscripted X factor to ever explode onto the political scene, at least in our lifetimes, Bill, then you're going to get ham-handed. It's like not in the script. You know, robot only has so many microchips in its in its uh, database, and that one wasn't in there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a poor analogy, but she does kind of make a good point. And then he plugs, plugs, plugs his podcast. Okay, let's get out of here with uh, – boy, there's a couple of really good clips I still want to play for you guys. <laughs> America's state-sponsored media is set for a shakeup. The U.S. Congress recently voted to abolish the Broadcasting Board of Governors and replace it with a single chief executive appointed by the president. That's a bad situation. I'll leave it to you to look more into that. You think RT's bad propaganda? That, my friends, is the real deal. And this is my favorite moment this week. Obama, I honestly believe, was drunk. And I just got to think maybe it was one of his last press conferences. He's going to Hawaii. He starts a sentence here, and I apologize for the audio, but it just was, it saved me a lot of time to do it this way. He starts, he starts with the sentence and then completely loses it. And if you watch closely, you can see the moment he realizes he's lost the sentence and then he ends it with the most, the most Obama expression ever. Uh, you know, uh, how is it that we have some voters or some elected officials who think that uh, Michelle Obama's uh, healthy eating initiative and you know, school nutrition program is a greater threat to democracy than uh oh uh oh uh oh you know our government uh, uh, going after the press uh, what if they're issuing a story they don't like Watch that part again. Like, I don't even know what just happened. uh, Going after the press uh, if they're issuing a story they don't like. Look at that face. (laughs) Please, screenshot that. I'm going to leave it up on the screen for five more seconds. You got to get a screenshot of that. One, two, three, four, five. All right, we're out of here. That's 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 my that that's his last pet press conference as president right there everybody. And that's nailed it. Nailed it, Obama. That's how we go that's how we roll. All right, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the overtime. Hope you enjoyed the whole damn show. We got a clip show for you next week. And thanks for the, everybody. Thanks for everybody who signed up over at patreon.com slash unfilter. If you'd like to help us kick off the new year with a bang and be mentioned in our first episode of 2017, patreon.com slash unfilter is where you do it. Clip show next week. Thanks for being here. Have a great holiday. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.